And so we ask ourselves, will our actions echo across the centuries? Good evening. This is Jocko Willie Podcast, Episode One. Here with my co-host, Jocko Willick. Good. And my guest, Jocko Willick. Good, good. Jocko Willick. Good. What's up, guys? Hello. I swear if the next word out of your guys' mouth is good. 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 All right. So... This is the Longhouse Podcast episode 4000 whatever. The Schlonghouse. Tonight we have two special guests and they are going to teach us how to manipulate the weather. <laughs> this episode brought yep. to you by Raid Shadow Legends. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Fieldcraft Survival. <laughs> We're here with Mike Glover and his heart machine. <laughs> no, not that, Mike Glover. The uh, the footwork heart machine. Yeah. No, but seriously, tonight we are here with two special guests who are going to introduce themselves. <laughs> I guess I'll go first. Uh, my name's Trey Rosenbaum. And I am uh, bringing some class to this podcast because I'm from God's Chosen Promised Land, a.k.a. the South. I'm a Cabbage Palm Shaman, and I'm coming from God's More Chosen Land, also known as Florida. <laughs> Dude, that's purgatory. You, I, can, I can tell you, having been to both, they're both terrible. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm from God's Real Chosen Land, the North. I wrote God's real chose the land of the Caribbean. <laughs> nah, the, the dude, devil wept when his best man Lincoln died. There's pirates. Yeah, we're literally we have a thing called Pirates Week here, where it's just like a celebration of piracy, despite the fact that there are no high masted ships on the island. Fucking you, shame. You can. Uh, what, what's the Wikipedia saying? It's like you can expand this article by contributing to it when you look at like serial killers and stuff. I had a dream about it the other day. About building about a ship? Being, yeah, about being a pirate. Like, what would a modern-day pirate look like? And I saw, like, giant... Somalian? <laughs> no, like, like like a container ship. And then just, like, alternating sides. They just have, like, those giant field cannons that the Soviets used. And, like, cruise missiles and torpedoes. And it was sick. I don't remember what the Jolly Roger looked like, but I remember there was one. Yeah, you'd have to have like an M134 and the crow's nest and everything. Just like sea whizzes everywhere. <laughs> I can't imagine what that would be like. What what is disaster that would be? Which is a good segue into uh into the the topic. <laughs> My friend, the ship is the disaster. Wherever it goes up, there's about to be a problem. The ship uh, is a disaster. So where is our first mate? So. Um, let's start with Trey. Trey, you and I have known each other for a while. 
And uh, we actually met up earlier this year where you showed me the aftermath of a uh, certain disaster in your area. Would you care to expand upon that? Sure. Um, See, this, I, uh, wait, hold on, not to interrupt, but this automatically proves that the South can't be God's chosen land because you guys have so many natural disasters. It's not even funny. That's obviously punishment. The North well, you understand that God gives the the biggest challenges to his greatest warriors. So that's that's what I'm convinced of. Yeah. Um, All I hear is that the North is weak. <laughs> Atrophy. Uh, nah. Yeah, it's, so we had a, uh, we get tornadoes, floods, ice storms, oil spills, a little bit of everything up here or down here. Um, Which one yeah, is it? The, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like rolling the the, uh, the disaster diet and seeing what it lands on for the uh, for the month. But yeah, I uh, I gave Gio a tour of a tornado that hit my town. I'm not really scared of doxing myself because. <laughs> I used to be a government employee, so all my information's online. So um, you're welcome to my house. I'll probably, you know, make you dinner or something. But I, uh, yeah, we got hit by a tornado on March 31st, and it actually hit my neighborhood where I live. And it was, so I live in Little Rock, which is the capital city of Arkansas. We're about 302,000 people. So by comparison to a lot of other states, not big, but in Arkansas, it's big. It's the biggest city. And the tornado uh, tore a path right down the most populated part of our city. And most of it took out a significant portion of Little Rock's middle class and a lot of our um, middle class apartment complexes as well. And so it was, it was pretty catastrophic. The first tornado to tear through Little Rock of this strength ever. Um, Little Rock's actually got a history of getting hit by tornadoes. But this one was unique, and it was at its strongest about 50 or so yards is where it started outside my front door. So I'm actually looking out my front window right now, and I can see the interstate and the highway. I've got some really good, like, 1,000, 1,500, even 2,000-yard shots, um, thanks to um, about 15,000 trees getting, you know, tossed around, so... So, so I've been through the area. We were, you know, like I said, we were there earlier in the year. And uh, I had never seen the aftermath of a tornado. I've seen the aftermath of hurricanes. And, you know, with hurricanes, you get a lot of damage from wind. You get a lot of damage from debris, flooding, etc. But with a tornado, it just, for some reason, the tornado, like, just, it looks like someone detonated a bomb. Like someone just carpet bombed that part and I took some of the photos and even when I look at the photos now it doesn't quite register because of how like like it, it's just slabs with piles of debris on them and just naked stripped down dirt trees on their sides splintered wood everywhere it's so weird to see it's like I hate to use the word apocalyptic but I can you know I can corroborate this this tornado and this was Mind you, this is months after the tornado hit. Because I was there, what, in uh, June, July? I think yeah, you June. Were, yeah, you came in late June, so it would have been a solid uh, two and a half months um, after the tornado. And about two months after a lot of cleanup had been done. And, it, dude, it looked like someone fucking just 
saturated the area with explosives. It was gnarly. Um, so, Trey, do you want to say uh, what, what was your experience immediately during and then after? Yeah. Um, so how it started was uh, we have really great, uh, really great local weather service here. Um, this is the only time you're going to – this is one of the few times you're going to hear me defend a government entity, but the National Weather Service is like an absolute <laughs> gift, and they rock and are highly efficient at their job. And so the National Weather Service and a lot of local weathermen, several of who I know personally, had said, hey, like, today's the day. Like, they've been talking about it all week. Like, Friday is going to be bad. Like, it's it's going to be – it's going to be the – the mothership of tornadoes so gear up and be ready and kind of knew that had gone uh downtown i was off work that day and was delivering some stuff to some uh guys kind of in my disaster relief group actually because we were, we were doing a garden project for for one of the guys that saturday and so i was dropping off the supplies and that's when all tornado warning started and then I get onto the interstate. I'm about 15-ish. No, I'm about about 15-ish minutes from my house. And they're saying they think there's a tornado on the ground. I'm following, like, the storm chaser. And the storm chaser has a camera on the front of his car, like a dash cam. And it is looking straight at my neighborhood. And <laughs> there is a giant black cloud, and there's things flying in the air. And he calls out the street that my brother lives on. And I knew one of my brothers. And I knew that this is my brother who's married with kids. I knew he was home alone with his kids that day. So my sister-in-law was out of town. And so all I'm thinking is, I got to get to my brother's house. And I get on the interstate. I'm doing 95 miles an hour tailgating a police officer. And every police car is heading the same direction. Like they were turning around the median and they were all heading towards the storm. So I knew it must have been getting big. And apparently it had been on the ground for, gosh, it's like a, it had been on the ground for about half a mile at that point. Um, so I, t- I take the exit onto my street. Um, I'm about two minutes behind the actual tornado. And a cop had pulled out in front. So my church, and this is very relevant. So, so the cop had pulled out in front of my church and was trying to set up a roadblock and I went around him and then traffic had started to pile up on the street that turned into my street and so I tore through I got a I got a big uh Ford truck and I tore through about 12 people's front yard slash landscapes and got onto my street and that's when I started tr- seeing trees down everywhere and drove over as many trees as I could. I don't recommend driving over 65-year-old oak trees. Uh, your suspension will not be happy. Um, and I still have a dented-in fender from that, but it was worth it. And I finally got stopped uh, at the kind of about halfway down my street because the damage was uh, just unreal. So in my on my particular street, the damage was lots and lots of trees thrown into houses we only got the outer winds of the tornado which were about 100 to 120 miles an hour so lots of trees everywhere power lines everywhere the street was flooding with pouring rain so i ran up to my house to check on everything and i started noticing the cell phone network was acting weird because i was i was um i was oh, we call it not live streaming i was facetiming with my wife and what's going on 
Yeah, you're good. Okay. And so I, uh, yeah, I was doing that and just damage everywhere. People screaming, trees through houses. I get to my house. My house is okay. There's like stuff thrown around everywhere. But I was checking like my chickens, my dog, all that kind of stuff. Everybody's, everybody's good. And I, I go ahead and change clothes because I'm soaking and I grab my um, search and rescue stuff because I'd done a search and rescue class years ago. Never thought I'd use it, but I always kept everything current. And I always kept my backpack. I'd repack it every year, just update it a little bit. And so I grabbed that bag. Um, I grabbed, it was, so at this point, it's probably closer to two o'clock in the afternoon. It's about 30 ish minutes after the tornado hit. Um, I go ahead, I grab like my night vision because I'm figuring I'm going to be out all night because just the damage I've seen, I'm like, this is, this is going to be a mass casualty event. So I go ahead and grab like my night vision, um, as many, <laughs> as many medical kits as I could throw on myself. Mm-hmm. I keep a lot of them in like the spirit, spirit of fanny sacks. And I had some in my bag and I just started throwing them. I mean, I had three or four on me. Um, cause again, I'm thinking mass casualty, hundreds of bodies, thousands of injuries. So I run why physical fitness is important. I run about a mile from my house across a green space, across a park. Um, and as it's a park, it's literally hundreds of trees piled on top of each other and power poles and power lines. And I'm climbing over everything and I get to the top of the hill. Kind of, I'm on one high point in my neighborhood and about, Ooh, about a thousand yards, 1500 yards away is another high point. So I go to that other high point. And I look out and I just see, it looks like somebody dropped a daisy cutter about 80 foot above the ground and just leveled everything. Um, What I learned later from the NOAA weather investigators was the winds on the ground were 165 miles an hour, which explains all of the second stories of all the houses were torn off, Um, which was really weird. That's not normal in a tornado. Um, to just hit off the second story. But yeah, when they hit lots- when they hit you with the airburst tornado. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. No, it looks exactly like that. Um, I wish I had a GoPro. I just snap a few quick pictures because I when as I'm about to press the hill, I call my sister. She's a doctor. She won't like me calling her a doctor. She is. She's a doctor of nurse practitioner. Um, at our big, um teaching hospital in town and she works in the ER and she called me and she's like, what are you seeing? I've been calling to work. You know, I'm, I'm staying late at work, mass casualty event. And, uh, I am 100% man enough to admit that, uh, lost it a little bit. Um, there might've been some, uh, some tears cause I, I, I'm looking at what I see and I'm, and a lot of my friends, a lot of my church members, even some of my family live in this neighborhood and I'm sitting there going, I'm going to, I'm going to find bodies. Like I'm just going to, and that's what I told her. I said, we're going to send you hundreds of bodies because I'm looking, I'm seeing people screaming for their loved ones. I wish I had a GoPro on because it's it just, all you smell is gas. All you hear, there were explosions. All you hear is sirens. Um, and I know this, a lot of this is not going to sound real because I live in a very strange type of neighborhood, but my there's a dealership in a truck radius 
so within walking distance, I live in a very strange neighborhood for living in the South. Most neighborhoods here aren't walkable. Um, mine is kind of the exception to the rule, i.e. why I live here. Um, but our fire station for our neighborhood uh, had the entire roof collapsed. So our local fire department was out for the count. There's a whole bunch of beat cops running around. And so I run up to a group of them. None of their radios were working. Um, and then cell phones at this point gave out. My sister, I, the, the, she cuts out. I had my AirPods in. Um, I couldn't get any calls or texts through. And so I, I attach on with some female police officers, and we start kicking in doors and pulling people out. Um, one of the houses I kicked in, you could see the haze. The, the cop broke the window, and then I kicked the door in. Kind of weird having a cop tell you, "Hey, kick this door in." <laughs> um, not used to that, but it, in emphasis too, the the cops that showed up, some of them showed up in literally like jogger shorts and lived in the neighborhood. They were they were woken up by the storm and they just responded. Most of our our police in Little Rock are pretty inept. We have a lot of great, uh, just like again, beat cops, patrol cops, etc. But our our police command is um, uh, just less than negligent. And so Until it was all, oh yeah, oh yeah. And so a lot of these cops that had no search and rescue training, our SWAT team was actually uh, search and rescue qualified as well in Little Rock. They couldn't get to us. They were all trying to like spin up these command centers and all this stuff. It, they ended up, by the time that they did it, they searched like one street and then, and then it was done. So there's all these ordinary cops. And it's like I pulled out this one girl and her two dogs, huge dogs out of a house filled with gas. She was delirious because she'd been breathing natural gas for Lord knows how long. Um, she was, she acted like she's stoned out of her mind. She finally kind of came to when we got her out of the house. But I walked her over to a dealership with her dog. Um, told the manager, I was like, hey, we're going to turn you into a kind of a gathering point for everybody we collect. And we just started sending everybody that way. And then just kind of started working my way down the street. Um, came in, it, And what was wild was I did not see injuries. No bodies. No injuries. Not even cuts. I mean, I was just... Maybe it is God's chosen was, land. It I, has I, to be. Dude, when I, like... Look, just just so it's not just Trey, like like in case you guys are skeptical, I've seen this three months after it happened that I can tell you that some of those structures, if you told me someone was in there, I'd be like, yeah, they're fucking dead, dude. Like it's just piles. It, it's like in a, it's like breaking something to its base components. It's just splinters and bits of concrete, rock, and drywall just all put in a pile on like a concrete foundation. That was it, dude. Like some of these houses look like they just got erased and someone just popped garbage on them. City There's cereal. Like, super. <laughs> but no, man, it was uh, like, like you, I'm surprised to hear that there were less injuries and fatalities than there were because, you know, it must be something when people just kind of got the message and got to basements or they were just protected or, you know, divine intervention or something. Because what I saw... Well, even just three months after was nuts, dude. And we'll get to we'll get to that, I'm sure, at some point tonight. Yeah, I mean that 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 is what was wild. Because like I mean, obviously ultimately I'm I'm a Christian, so I believe it was divine intervention, but also all the kids were in school. 
And we have a policy in Arkansas that when there's bad weather, they either let the kids out early or they keep them in school. They've started keeping them in schools. And all of our schools were built in the 1950s to survive, you know, a supposed Russian nuclear bomb attack. So <laughs> that they're exactly they're, great. All of our schools are really ugly, but they are safe. And so that, yeah, a lot of people were at work. My neighborhood is middle class. So it's not a lot of work from home people. I mean, it just, it was just kind of the, the perfect deal, but, but yeah, I just kind of kept doing that, ran into people I knew and, that was when I was able to get a call through to my mutual assistance group. And uh, the first time this has ever happened, they all answered a video call at the same time. Oh, and wow. I pretty much was like, hey, I'm okay. Because um, uh, they all thought my house got hit. I said, I'm okay. My house is okay, I think. I really don't know. I've not been in my backyard. Um, but I was like, the damage is... Um, like indescribable. It looks like the apocalypse. Um, if y'all can drop everything and, and get here. And they, and they did, um, guys from all over central Arkansas started flooding in. And my, my brother parked and hiked in one of my brothers parked and hiked in, uh, a mile with 50 pounds of gear to get to my house. He, he took his three kids, Hit my mom and dad live two minutes from him. He just shows up. My mom was home, and he's just like, "Hey, you're keeping these three children under four, including an infant. I've got to go help Trey." Oh um, damn! And my mom, my mom was not happy <laughs> until she realized because she didn't know what was going on. And uh, but yeah, I'll kind of I'll kind of end it there because I'm sure we'll get into the more of the details later. But yeah, that's kind of that was kind of day of. I'm like I went down, and um, we'll we'll pick back up later. Yeah, so um, just to kind of ask a question while the iron's hot. Uh, and I fucking forgot it. Holy shit, I should have written it down. Iron isn't hot enough. Out. That shit was frozen, man. That was the frozen <laughs> face emoji. <laughs> um, shit, I'm sure it'll come to me. No, honestly, like this is, this is kind of crazy to me because where I live... Um, we actually have we're actually the safest city in the country from natural disasters like they don't they don't really happen here um and other parts of the state like out west and up north a bit um where it's a lot more farmland we have tornadoes and stuff but they're all like minimal uh we'll have some flooding and and whatnot if the storms are really bad but for the most part like we don't really have natural disasters here so it's it's interesting to hear that like you have some groups that are more tailored to natural disaster relief versus others. Um, you know, we, we have our, our own reasons for like the, the mutual assistance that you had mentioned, but like natural disaster relief really isn't something that we have to consider because it's not really a thing here. So it's pretty crazy. And, and I just, I'm curious, like after this happened, did it change how you guys like, do you guys now carry specific items in your car besides just like medical? Like, do you guys carry chainsaws or whatever on the regular um, or anything like that? Um, so we've always had a bit towards natural disease. Um, and, and also like hint for everybody listening, they're great cover 
just like remember that mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they're great cover for doing all the other mutual assistance group stuff. It's a little more spicy. Um, but they, we had always had a lot of this equipment because a lot of the guys in the group had different skill sets like engineering. I work in horticulture. I used to cut trees. I used to work on a farm. Um, I own a lot of those kind of tools. Some of the other guys, um, you know, work on work in like automotive field, all that kind of stuff. And so we all have, I mean, nobody's really like LEO or military. Um, now I've got a lot of friends that are in that, that space, that arena, that skill set, but I've kind of geared a lot of my group towards, Hey, tactics and guns and stuff are fun, but disaster relief is the reality. Like that's what we're going to face on a, year-to-year basis um we had a lot just being honest like i had a lot of the stuff that we needed because i'm a nerd and that's where i spent my money like i, I didn't grow up going to concert i don't even drink coffee um i didn't i didn't have a lot of school debt i mean i spent ever since i was in middle school i spent my money on tools and gun gear and so i've just uh, and, and I've also kind of gotten lucky. I've always found some old dude or some old lady getting rid of stuff or somebody selling something for cheap. And so I've always just kind of accumulated this stuff. And then I use it for work. I mean, I work in landscape and horticulture. So I use chainsaws. I use trailers. I use tractors, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, and then I've got a good network, man. Like, I'm born and raised in Arkansas. I've got a wide, diverse group of friends that everybody knows how to do a little um, a little bit of something. And, but no, we, we've always been geared towards disaster relief. Definitely me more than everybody else. Cause I've done it for about 15 years now. Um, just cause I'm really passionate about it. I had a, I'm not going to mention their names because I, I want to respect their privacy. Um, but I had a friend of mine and her husband and her two oldest daughters died in a tornado in 2014. Oh, uh, um, and her husband, her husband had been a mentor to me as a kid in my church and, um, really, really good people. I grew up with the whole family. Um, I'm still very close to him and that I'd always been involved in disaster relief, but that kind of took it to the next level because I realized like, Hey, people die and, um, these can get, and that tornado was worse than this one, the Hitler rocket. It, it actually, it leveled homes for 40 miles. Um, it was on the ground for two, two hours, I think. Um, it was one of the worst in our state's history. So yeah, that's, we kind of gear a lot of stuff towards that. Um, just because again, it's, it's good practice. It's also easy to get funding, easy to get stuff for. There's lots of disaster relief groups, which I'm sure we'll get into later, um, that, that you can kind of work arm arm and arm with and that's just always been more of our bent hopefully that answers the question that didn't feel free to ask more so Um, so if you guys showed up in full kit with rifles would you be asked to leave uh in (laughs) in most cases yes all right just checking i thought we weren't gonna mention those guys man who are you Huh? It's just a it's just a hypothetical. I'm just curious. So I got I got I have, on that personally, but like 
No, take unironically. <laughs> yes. Um. Whenever we get to Florida stuff, I'll mention it. I, I was gonna, Go. gonna kind of ask like a, a somewhat Florida question, though, so we might get to it in a sec. Yes. So before I forget, because I've already forgotten stuff today. Trey, you mentioned there was a lot of natural gas smell in the air, um, and that's kind of something new to me. So, Cab, I don't know what how your part of Florida is like, but I, do you guys have a lot of like gas lines and stuff there for like domestic use? Yes, our local power plant is gas, and a lot of homes are still natural gas heated. Okay, that's fucking nuts. Yeah, like, so that's my county. My county, nothing. Like the first time I was ever exposed to it like a propane like range and stove and grill was like a few years ago like i'd never seen it it was just all electric oh yeah i'm gonna be honest though i almost needed disaster relief right now because i went to light this candle and as i flicked the lighter i could see in the light of the lighter that right next to the candle was a thing of pyrodex that i had put on my desk for my black powder rifle so i almost blew up myself just now (laughs) continue Just, just yeah. in case you wanted to know. And, and now for the practical portion of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, if, if you've ever like worked in construction, like on people's homes, you know there's all sorts of utilities that you can't like hit with a shovel, like power, pressure, water lines, sewage, and gas. The people you have themselves. A earthquake, flood, tornado. It's like putting a, a stone helper in someone's front yard. It all gets ripped up. Um, so it's a very big thing to consider when you're romping around in some level town. No, it, it is. I mean, in rural areas, everybody here is on propane, but I mean, Arkansas, obviously like we do get cold in the winter. I'm kind of the dividing line between mild winter and cold. You drive about an hour North of me and you're, you'll see snow and it gets pretty chilly. I mean, nothing like um, Michigan, but it's, it's still, it's still chilly. Hell yeah, but brother. That, Oh, gosh, yeah, I'd, I'd die up there. Um, Keep that shit away from me. We were joking about you know like plate carriers and kit and all that kind of stuff. Um, so Little Rock is very violent. We have a lot of crime, and um, we are consistently in the top five uh, most violent cities per capita in the in the nation. So that's uh, we're known for that. And uh, you know the Clintons making everybody uh, disappear. But I digress. We uh, we actually did roll in some kit the first two nights because the last three or four years, things have gotten pretty bad in Little Rock. Um, we're, our police are understaffed by hundreds, and especially this night, they were bad understaffed. And then our National Guard were not armed, and most of their command structure is at, was actually Germany at the time. Oh, and geez. so like, they didn't have working radios. Oh yeah, they didn't have working radios. They had they had no they had no combo unit attached to them, and so it was a, just complete disaster. We actually watched, like we saw it with our own eyes, kids riding around on bikes and stealing chainsaws off the back of people's trucks and out of their yards. Um, and that night, the the looting got terrible. I mean, it's happened at local gas stations. Because some of the apartment complexes around me are Section Eight, um, they're they're more impoverished, and so <clears throat> several of the guys I called in, I'd done Tusk at Darcy with. Can't have a podcast with Gio without mentioning the most sacred Darcy. Yeah, I was um, gonna say you already lost the game. There's the counter. There's the counter right there. I didn't even have to say it. Everyone, take a yeah. shot. Well, here's. 
the time I want. Um, I'm a few national borders away. (laughs) (laughs) But I, some of the guys I take in Tusk with, uh, we, we have night vision. And so I said, Hey, bring, bring, bring everything. I just don't know what things are going to look like. And so we did do, we ran shifts and did patrols all that first night. And then the second night we did them until about two o'clock in the morning. Um, by that point, things got under control. The looting wouldn't start again until about two months later. That was when looting got bad. Um, but there's so two interesting yeah, it will. It's just, again, you know, crime of opportunity. What, what's interesting, though, there are two big observations that I took away from that, um, or like an incident and then an observation. The incident that happened was that night, we're rolling down the street, um, we're kind of doing like three or four man groups, and there is a Honda Civic that comes about halfway down this hill, and it stops, and it tur- they turn their lights off. The car's still running. They turn the lights off. I see the glow of cell phones inside of the car. And so we kind of <clears throat> kind of fan out a little bit, and I was like, that's that's suspicious. And so I've been just rolling up. Car, I live on a dead-end street, a long dead-end street. You have no reason to go down my street, especially if you're like you know, 75% of people that drive everywhere with GPS. And they, they stop. I roll up there, bang on the window, and of course, I mean we're we're all very co- like we have long guns and night vision helmets, but everything else is underneath a jacket because it was actually pretty cold that night. And you know, I was like, "Hey, what are you guys doing? Why are you down the street?" And they kind of are startled, and they're like, "Oh, we're trying to find McDonald's." And I'm like, "McDonald's was hit by the tornado. Like McDonald's, the building is there, but McDonald's is not open." McDonald. Um, yeah, they do not. They do not have the. Uh... Waffle House workers. Ice cream machine broke. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. no McFlurries today. Um, but they, they they claim they're looking for McDonald's. And I'm like, dude, this is like, I'm looking at your GPS in your car and it's telling you to turn around. This is not the street you should be on. And he's like, well, we're just, you know, we're just trying to grab a bite to eat. And I was like, this area got hit by a tornado. That's why there's no power. Why are you here? Oh, you know, we just we just got turned around, and then the guy looks at me, and I think he just—that's when he noticed, like, a reflection. That's when he saw like, your oh. gun pointing at him. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, down! Don't get me in prison. Uh, that's when the that's when the that's when three viz, viz green lasers just started dancing on him and the passenger just through the windshield. <laughs> Hit with the green beam. Oh man, uh, my Tech Fifteen would have looked sweet on that dude's chest, but uh, I didn't go to jail. Um, your Honor. It was merely a joke. <laughs> I said in Minecraft yeah. as I pressed the button. <laughs> the button was the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> but but the car, there's four young men in there, and I couldn't I couldn't really tell ethnicity. That's what was weird because it, you know, it was just dark. But they're all they're all young guys, and they're all on their phones. And the guy sees my gun, he's like, "Well, man, be cool, be cool." And I was like, "I'm being cool." turn around and he's like you know we're not doing i'm like back around go up the street leave don't come back down the street kind of you would have recognized you would have recognized those dudes in their part of the neighborhood though oh i know i know everybody on my street like i genuinely do um i i when the tornado hit i had lived here two and a half years 
and I walked up and down my street. I used to, I mean, I used to campaign, like walk door to door in this neighborhood. My church is here. Like my church does like outreach. So like we come and pick up some of the kids and do stuff. Like I, I again, I know when there's a suspicious car on the street. So you um, already had rapport built with the neighborhood. You know, but oh yeah, my, by this year those people knew who you were. They saw you. It wouldn't have been, oh shit, who's that dude with the AR and the nods? It would have been like, oh, that's Trey. You ain't from yeah. around here, boy. Best go back <laughs> the way you came. <laughs> yeah, up the fucking street, dude. Yeah, puts down the banjo well, to tell him to go back. <laughs> okay. Yeah, puts down the banjo. <laughs> back the way you came. <laughs> that part of our is not like that. <laughs> <laughs> the cops up at the top of the street we had we had interacted with all the local police they knew who we were we had actually they had reached out to us because they saw all of our motorola radios and they thought we were like jump out boys at one point i was like we are not what's and a jump out boy like uh uh they're typically fbi liaisons with either the sheriff's office state police something like that they they do a lot of, like the drug interdiction stuff around here and they'll just like roll out of a SUV or a truck or a minivan and just like grab drug dealers off the street and roll. Mm. Um, they stopped doing that four years ago. It, it was me, super bait. Me when I get kidnapped by the secret police. <laughs> but they. they Cayman Island SWAT. Your Honor, I was selling aspirin as Fenty. Your Honor, I was scamming drug drug addicts. Your Honor, I was taking Pervitin so I can stay up longer for to provide more disaster relief. <laughs> I could be trusted. <laughs> but yeah, they we had helped out a few of the police officers clear some infill exfil routes for them and pull some trees out of the road so they could get their equipment in. And so they they knew who we were. We told them, "Hey, we're gonna be rolling with long guns. Like, don't don't get freaked out." And they're like awesome because we don't have enough people to patrol your neighborhood and there was one one of my neighbors he's a younger black guy he's really into like smoking meat he's hilarious and he saw us all get out of the car he was in his vehicle the night of the tornado he was out there with his wife um and they were charging their phones and he was uh smoking a joint because he's like man it'd been a long day he's like i was out there it's like i just need to take a little hit because i was stressed and so he's out there. And he says, "He said my wife goes honey with his long gun." <laughs> they're like, "There's, there's, there's a group of crazy white boys get out of this truck over here, and they all got, they all got like big guns and stuff." And he looks out the window and sees us. And I saw them. I saw just the glow of their phones in the car through through my PBS fourteen. <laughs> and he uh, he sees us. He goes, "Oh no, that's that's Trey. He's the guy that's like you know got all the guys with chainsaws, and they're like doing all the work for everybody." Goes oh, he's like I bet, I bet he's protecting the neighborhood, and um, he comes to me a couple weeks later and he goes, "Hey man, I appreciate you and your guys like you know patrolling the street for a couple nights." He said, "I left my front door unlocked when we went to go live with some family because they didn't have power and they had a tree through their house. They had water coming into their bedrooms, and he said we went to go live with my relatives." And he said, "I the front door somehow didn't get locked." And he said, "We didn't have a thing, single thing stolen." And the big lesson that I took away from that was our street, every street in my neighborhood, I've looked this up, every single street in my neighborhood has been looted, but the street that I live on. Um, we've not had one instance of looting. 
And I think a lot of that was it's the same people been looting over and over. And I and I really do. I think they came through those first two nights. They saw our big groups of guys, and we had several guys open carrying handguns. They were law enforcement, but they were attached to our group. They open carried handguns. We had security that would stand next to our trucks and our supplies as we'd move up and down the street to the neighborhood doing work. And I think that that was seen, and that really kind of deterred a lot of potential crime. I think a big thing that probably contributed to not just you guys not really getting harassed by it, but also you guys kind of being welcome, uh, is just the fact that you had already built that rapport and those relationships, even within the same day. Because I know you told me that probably one of the most valuable things you guys had and one of the first things you guys started to do was clear everyone's driveway. Like clear a way for them to even go into their house or out of their house and you started doing that and then the road, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we... Because again, this is not my first rodeo. John with uh, LARP Labs. Every cowboy at his second out. rodeo says that. <laughs> <laughs> we... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we started clearing trees out of the road because it's like, okay obviously we want like emergency personnel to get down through here who i was most worried about was the, the gas services getting down through here to shut off everybody's um leaking we actually had a main gas pipe in our neighborhood hit so we had a like a 200 ish or 150 ish yard perimeter around this leaking gas pipe that we didn't work we didn't want to spark anything etc but back up to the top of the street and we start working our way down clear driveways and freeing people's cars and all that kind of stuff and i remember john with larp labs looking at me and he's like why are we clearing people's driveways and blowing them off with a big leaf blower and i said because if you blow everybody's driveways off they can see it if you clear them then people are going to park in their driveway not on the street because when everybody starts parking on the street you can't get big machinery big trailers utility trucks through, et cetera. Sure enough, the next day, because our street was cleared, the utilities could get through. We got back utilities in like four or five days, whereas a lot of other people waited two weeks. And a big part of that was the, the path was cleared. So he had, he had fun. He had fun learning that lesson. He was like, dude, that's wild. And I was like, listen, I learned it from somebody else. So it was, uh, it was useful. It's such a, it's such an interesting thing too, because it's, it's the same sort of tenets in, in military thinking is like, okay, you need to enable mobility so you can actually like maintain that operational reach. And to some degree, that's exactly what you guys did. You know, the only way to be able to get specialized equipment is to make sure that there's a road for them to go on. So I don't know. It's very interesting. It is. So uh, it's not, it's not the first thing I would think of in a disaster. It's like, Oh, well, we got to clear the fucking roads and driveways because you know, the sooner those are clear, the sooner we can get, you know, the right people in the right spot. I am going to make it a point, though, that uh, LARP Labs is actually, unironically, one of the sponsors. So you should go check them out. You should. Yep. Whatever you All do. Whatever be wrapped in whatever uh, you do, black. do not <laughs> tell them the longhouse thing. Do not. Do not. If, if do you not. If you go on their website and you decide to buy something... <laughs> And it has discount code. Do not type Longhouse into that bar. Because you do not want a 10% discount. <laughs> no, it's going to double the price. 
Yeah. Do not it's, uh, it's a 10 times. It's an exponential. The negative. Yeah. Uh, but no, he's definitely a sponsor. Like I said, Loghouse, uh, do not type that in. Nope, never. But um, no, that's fun. fuck that. Uh, you mentioned the church, and I think that is probably, like, how prepared was your church for this? And how involved were you in that preparation? Yeah, so um, first off... Being involved in a local church is based, and it's how you're going to find the best dudes for your group. Um, it is the seated out guys that went to go do stuff like this at your local bar. Um, you're going to find guys uh, typically at your church. So if you're looking for a way as guys to meet other guys in an environment that is not weird, go to church <laughs> just it's guys being day. dudes nothing sexual uh, come join our church yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> All guys, guys meet guys all right just a bunch of dudes just a couple of pimp snow hoes i'm looking for hard men that can stay hard <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys run high points too? Nice. (laughs) I like the one with the money print. (laughs) Yeah, I like the one with the hundreds. (laughs) Especially if it got if it got a switch. High point with the switch. High point with the Alibaba switch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! And the green beam on the front. Every once in a while, I'll hear some of the wish.com switches going off. You'll just hear a bump. You're like, oh, somebody with their uh, somebody with their uh, PSA dagger just had a little too much fun. It's the they Chinese, afford the action. It's the like Chinese a special, but a true glow dot and an Amazon laser. Yes. Dude, uh, sidebar, complete sidebar, my first AR I bought. Dude, I'm so mad because <clears throat> if I could go back in time, I had like probably three grand saved up and i went in 2015 to go buy an ar and i bought a fucking diamond back and put a true glow red sight on it and it did not hold zeros then i bought a bushnell tr 25 or whatever is like the aim point clone (laughs) dude if i could have gone back in time i would have bought like a fucking cack or something like that like or even like a bcm like the bcm and the worst part about this too is that this diamondback was like 750 bucks so i could have bought like a fucking bcm for the price what'd you do with the rest of the money spend it on pervitin i spent it on crack and then pervitin (laughs) yeah diamondback's uh shop is down the road for me and when i was you should rate it for what the good guns that they have oh yeah <laughs> for something to melt down and keep you warm during this upcoming harsh winter i'm gonna break in a diamondbacks facility and beat the brakes off of their qc manager dude <laughs> you might as well just take all of their guns and sell them for dude. aluminum scrap here's the funny thing is like if you've ever done machine you know there's like specific processes like you machine the part and then you remit then you check it from qc then you analyze it whatever stuff 
like each of those is an individual position they hire for because it's like a it's a good sized company and they still make trash rifles because they don't pay anyone anything it's like i think it was like 12 bucks an hour and you just like deburst stuff all day they just claim like, unemployment wow. per employee yeah i don't think yeah we have keltec we have knights we have diamondback none of them are good to work for <laughs> all, the Kelt- all the knights dudes like having a heart attack right now Dude, Knights is a whole other thing to work there. That's that's funny stuff. That's the real disaster relief. <laughs> L- liberating the Knights employees. <laughs> Yo, dude. The, Whatever uh, you do, do not ask about DUIs at the Knights Armament building. Whatever you do, do not ask about the Loghouse Knights Armament discount. <laughs> you dude, will get banned. Would, just because the warehouse was so big, whatever that Chuckle Nuts dude that owns it, will blast down those hallways and like he'll almost hit interns going around these corners they got the mirrors or whatever or forklifts he'll speed by he's like what a what a guy can't live anymore yeah fire a special a special cut down fucking yeah. urx 47 <laughs> yeah he's seven like, inch ar-15 that's full auto he's blasting down the hallways sexually harassing any female employee he passes it's it's a funny company to work at. <laughs> he put he pulled the Forrest Gump at the end. It was like that's all I have to say about that. That that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I once I once watched I once watched Reed Knight kill a guy. He like he just held him. It was like the middle of the street, and he just dunked his head in a puddle and just. I watched Bill Geisley kill a man in in cold blood behind an Applebee's and didn't say anything. Yeah, Yeah, I watched Mark LaRue assassinate (laughs) (laughs) Assassinate a Geisley employee. (laughs) I watched Travis Aaron strangle an elderly man in 2005. Could you imagine how horrible this would be if we had to make money off of it? Like, we had to live off the podcast and make money off of it. Well, first of all, I wouldn't be using Cubase because I've been fucking hitting the record button every five minutes because it cuts off and I just don't want to interrupt it. So this thing's going to be choppy as shit. If I had my my MacBook up and running, I would just use Ableton because it's like the only competent um, music production software. Oh, look at me. I use competent software. Yeah. <laughs> mm, we we're talking about disasters, weren't we? Yeah, this is full yeah, podcast, we dude. We we're talking about the church, right? So I, I swear we were not Knights Armament. Knights Armament is not the church. That's a different disaster. It's not natural. It's demonic. Um, I got a question for <laughs> Trey. Is I assume you're in this like supposed community. How much of the guys in your team and stuff did you meet online? versus in the flesh at your church um because a lot of these guys in this circle they usually network online on some post of like find your tribe and it's usually few and far between with physical networking from the guys i know Mm. that dude that is a solid question um i have met technically i've met nobody online um, I've met everybody in person. Um, and most of these guys I've known for, I mean, well, one of them's my brother, so, you know, there's that, but most of these guys I've known for a long time. Um, the core, the core guys I've known since I was eight, nine, ten, And that, and, and those guys I did meet through church. 
Um, I met a lot through my church and through high school. Couple in college. I really didn't meet anybody in college. Most everybody at my college is, I don't know, not high quality. Um, and then when I got out and got into my mid twenties and late twenties, I, I I met a lot of guys that are really kind of like minded into this kind of stuff. And then all the events of the last few years have helped kind of like light a fire underneath people because I've been doing this stuff, man, for gosh dang, like I mean, eighteen years, seventeen years now. Um, Damn, dude, you're old. A lot of, I am. You're old as hell, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you got your AARP I, check after next disaster relief. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting that right next to my white privilege check. But <laughs> I, <laughs> I, uh, I have wanted. It's like, man, five years ago, just mm-hmm. kind of a fire got lit underneath everybody, and they were like serious about this. I mean, obviously, I mentioned the 2014 tornado got a lot of folks into this kind of stuff, but um, I did, and I take this back, I did meet a couple of guys who were friends of a friend on Facebook like seven, eight years ago, and they were really into training, and they brought some really cool trainers into Arkansas, and that that was where things really started kicking off on going out and training with guns, et cetera. Um, but yeah, man, like through local churches and local like men's groups, and stuff like that is how, and then Darcy, listen, I'm, I'm not gonna, not gonna gloss over that one. Like I'm pretty spoiled. I'm, I'm close to Darcy. Uh, a lot of guys, including Gio will come stay at my house if they need a night, you know, place to crash or whatever. And I've taken some classes and opt for and stuff out there. And that community is just every guy I've met for the most part through there has been real high quality. And so, uh, yeah, kind of all that combined is how I met guys. I, I define your tribe, online groups, Discord, Telegram, Instagram, Twitter. I mean, I'll talk to guys on there, and I, I have had guys that I've, I'm now friends with that have come and stayed at my house, et cetera, but they're not local. They're in other states. So. <laughs> I'm in the same Discord. Let me into your house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a wild jump of trust meeting in a short amount of time i've i've had a lot i mean again geo's one of these people too there have been a lot of guys that i've met on instagram and you know and and typically it's after talking to him for a few months and again here's my here's my controversial statement of the podcast um i like in my group and a lot of the other groups i work with etc we all have a shared kind of like moral compass around our, you know, Christian belief system um, that I think is really important. And I've, I've kind of found that guys I meet online, the vast majority of them, if they're Christian, especially like they're married or have kids or they're in like a good relationship, um, they have a good job, et cetera. I mean, they're going to be high quality people. And it, I'm not married anymore, but my ex-wife, it used to kind of freak her out sometimes because we have an apartment that built onto our house and, I'd invite guys coming to, to do Darcy classes. Hey, if you want to crash tonight at my place, like you're more than welcome to. And he was just always like, I can't believe this and all that kind of stuff. And I'll tell you, every single guy that stayed at my house, several of those guys, one of those guys actually drove in to help with tornado cleanup. Several other guys have hooked me up with like going to shot show, uh, helping me get gear for my group, um, donating to various charities that I work with. Um, when I when I got divorced, you know, call me up. Hey, man, how are things? Come and stay with me for a couple of weeks to 
help me out with household projects, et cetera. Um, but again, I know I'm in the minority, but meeting random people online, uh, I've not had one bad situation so far. That's nice. That's good. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I forgot again. <laughs> after I wrote yeah. Oh, dude, you've been you've been hitting the uh, the fucking he's gas station drinking. Yeah, he's been doing the Darcy drinking and hitting the gas station pills too hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I crush them all up at once. I just ask him, just give me everything you got. I crush it all up and I roll it in like an Amazon box. I just fuck it. Dude, there is no better pre-workout than 7-Eleven tornadoes and, like, the worst rain flavor possible. God. Tornado. That just like sounds like drinks. explosive diarrhea. You know what? I no. really don't get diarrhea. But I'll just ask anyways. Did you find it particularly hard to get guys in the church martial-minded? Like, I'm sure some already were. But did you find that hard? harder or would it have been easier to get guys that are already martial minded into like disaster preparedness I guess is the question hmm it, de- it depended on who it's I was kind of selective I'm social I like meeting people um, I'm active in the study school and so we always have like all these events and stuff and I would just kind of feel guys out and see Hey, what are they into? What do they enjoy doing? Like, if they wanted to sit there and talk about, you know, sports ball the whole time, and I say that, I mean, I used to work in college sports, but if they want to sit there and talk about, you know, football or the NFL or whatever the whole time, it's probably not going to be something that's going to be interesting. But if they talk about, like, hobbies like camping or fishing or hunting or guns, or they have, like, a military or police background, et cetera, which is common. You're going to find that in Arkansas. A lot of people have a military or police background or come from, um, you're shooting sports, archery, something like that. That's very common in Arkansas. Um, if they had that interest in common, then, then yes, it was pretty easy. I think the other thing too was, and I'm not gonna say I'm an expert at this, but I feel like I'm pretty good at, um, you've got to get buy-in if guys are going to do this kind of stuff. And I think the biggest part of getting that buy-in is, sh- in a, in a healthy and constructive way, showing their spouse that it's worthwhile. Because a lot of wives really struggle to understand even the disaster relief stuff, et cetera. But what I've consistently heard from so many of my buddies' wives is, hey, I might not understand night vision or Darcy or taking classes or disaster relief, but my husband's really happy He's really fulfilled. He comes back, you know, and really enjoys like time with his family or I'm really seeing him like, I don't know, God forbid, be a man and do things that are manly and masculine. Um, when they see that, a lot of them are like, Oh, that's super cool. <clears throat> like one of the things after the tornado that happened was I know a lot of the guys just abandoned their families. Like they just, they had to dump their kids and their wives for days on end. And a lot of my buddies, you know, they really like to be active with their kids on the weekends, doing cool stuff outside. And after the tornado was over and that initial weekend was done, I spent one evening texting like 16 or 17 of the guys that spent a lot of time up here. I texted all their wives and or all the ones that were married. And I said, hey, I just want to say thank you for 
allowing her husband to be gone for a few days and, and be an absent father so that like they could come help a lot of people that really needed it. Like that that's really cool. I know that's hard, et cetera. And what I heard from so many of my buddies where they're like, dude, you have no idea how far that was my wife. Like she's she's asking me, when's the next time you're gonna do disaster relief? Um, because men are not designed and made to sit around on the couch. And so I think the big way of getting guys to buy in is getting their spouse to buy in too. Because like I say, this is a little personal, but I'm fine talking about it because it's been several months. Like I I got a divorce I didn't want, um, but you don't get to choose when the other person doesn't want to stay. And a big factor, a big problem in my marriage and a big factor in that divorce was um, my wife thought this stuff was stupid. She hated it. She didn't understand it. And she wasn't a part of it. And she never supported any of it. And over the years, it became an issue. And I never thought it would be. And I always tried to gloss it over. But every person in my life kept saying, hey, it's going to be an issue. And they were right. And so I think that that's something a lot of guys overlook is if you can get the spouse on board, if you can make sure you're not taking away from the family a bunch, like it, it, you're going to get guys who are going to buy it and do stuff. That's a little long-winded, but that's just – Gio and I have talked about this before. Like, I just think it's really important, and a lot of guys gloss over that. And it's not something a lot of guys really talk about, too. We're kind of killing a couple of those, like – you know, like a lot of guys have online-only organizations, and it, it's hard. I can tell you this, like, even just when I was in Florida trying to organize a hike, I mean, how far did some guys come from? counties and counties over and i knew in an emergency unless it was very localized and we were cool it was going to be difficult to get those guys there in those crucial few hours but these are all your neighbors these are guys that can walk to your house and to have to basically court their families as support is so and, and knowing that like okay cool it's not really the guy that's the issue it's his wife or it's the fact that, you know, he has kids and there's no assurance that those kids are going to be taken care of. If, you know, dad fell from a, from a fucking tree cutting down, you know, cutting down branches. And now he's in the hospital for a month. You know, a lot of people don't want to see that and then think like, well, fuck, now I'm on my own. Just even mm-hmm. reinforcing like, hey, like if, you know, we're all here, he's doing good work. Like, I'm sure to some degree that puts a lot of minds at ease because they supposition is we're all here as a group we're going to take care of each other as a group if something happens to your husband like like we will be there for you and you know you're doing it and you're showing it in like the hours put you know clearing out roads you have no impetus to you know or you know checking up on people and doing like localized search and rescue or doing security patrols for the neighborhood and it really is kind of changing how I look at a lot of organizations Um, because, you know, depending on when you've asked me in the past few years, I might say like a national organization is the best or like, you know, seeker versus over over versus covert organizations and this and that. But it it turns out that from your experience, the local organization, the guys that all live by each other and are connected morally by a church is so profound and it's clearly paid dividends earlier this year. Like, it's nothing but clear. Um, no, I mean, you're dead right, Gio. And, like, that's the thing. That, there's that morality aspect of, of 
when you all belong to the same faith, you all understand, like, you're going to treat each other's wives, kids, husbands in, in, in a certain way. There's a certain level of expectation. And I think, too, it doesn't always have to be, like, fun door kicker stuff and, and being a pipe hitter. You're going and cutting down trees, et cetera. And like I mentioned, the day the tornado hit, why was I dropping off all that stuff to build a garden for one of the guys in my mutual assistance group? Because his wife wanted to be able to grow some vegetables, and she's really into flowers. And I'm a horticulturalist. Like, I can't tell you how many of the guys in my group, one of the other guys, like, one of the guys in my group came over and helped set up my my internet on this fancy new mesh network system for my my wife when she worked at home. And I don't know how to do that stuff. I hate that kind of stuff. But that, that was buy-in. Like, that was buy-in of him going, hey – I'm going to show your wife why having this group is valuable. And I've done that with a lot of other guys too. Like it's not just about what can you do for other people. Most women want safety and security. Like they're going to, you you talk to any of them, most are going to say, I want safety and security. And there's safety and security found in a group. And when, you know, that couple's moving and she's wondering, oh, well, where's, you know, my husband been hanging out with all these guys and eight dudes show up with pickup trucks and hand trucks ready to move the house. That that's powerful. And I think a lot of guys I know, I don't think I know a lot of guys ever looked at. And I'm just, man, I'm going to harp on that um, because that is the way to build a quality group. There's no point in having a group if you can't rely on them. Because, again, I want to emphasize, like, I called guys. And I said, I need you at my house because there's tornado pit. It's not, well, are you sure? Or I need pictorial proof or, you know, I'm busy, et cetera. It was, I will be there as fast as I can get there. Even if that means like one of the guys driving his brand new truck through a chain link fence because he thought my house got hit. They, they were literally willing to do, I had one friend that, that dropped everything, brought his professional tree company down, his tree crew. They're a bunch of like Amish looking dudes that all just eat protein and lift all day. And they brought massive F four fifty trucks with equipment and were at my house. They live an hour and fifteen minutes away. They were at my house within three hours of the tornado hitting. So it's just like I don't know, man. I, I just think that really gets overlooked. Yeah, and that's that's like one thing that I've been doing is because for the longest time my my group of dudes has been uh, like a lot further apart. So <clears throat> I'm trying to move over to more like local and all that and start over with that to a degree. But um, yeah, the the whole like wife agreeing with it is a huge thing because um, especially you know for me at least like my wife stays at home i work all week if i work all week and then she's at home with the kids all day every day and then the weekend comes up and i say oh hey i'm going to be gone for the morning or all day or even the whole weekend um it's it's quite a bit for her right like yeah okay i have to work every single day for two weeks plus the weekend but so does she right like she doesn't get the break that she would get if i'm there so absolutely it, it is a really big thing for her to buy in on it and, and understand it and and yeah that's that that is a very overlooked part and i think that it's a lot different too if they don't see a potential return or like a benefit to what you're doing 
if all they see is, you know, you come back happy about this exciting time that you had with your friends and you spend a whole bunch of money to get there, you know, like if you're doing Milsom West and FTXs on like back-to-back weekends and especially if your wife works or something and like, you know, now they got to get a babysitter or like ask a grandparent to watch the kid and it's like a whole stressful thing. Like, yeah, they, they definitely need to buy into it. And that seems yeah. like the gap with a lot of groups to begin with is like they meet up for the purpose of training these militant skills and the gap, like helping your buddy move. It's not huge, but it's not what people think of when they're thinking of this group. It's like, Oh yeah, I need, yeah, I need my trees cut after this hurricane. It's like, Oh, that's, that's not what I anticipated. Um, but it's infinitely more important. Those other things that people need help with versus like bounding and shooting for a weekend. Yeah, yeah, you shut your mouth. Not, Bounding not, and shooting is the you. most important. I will bound <laughs> and shoot my way through these trees and this debris. <laughs> and nobody's saying that that stuff isn't important and it's not valuable. It, it, it is. But I think, too, when you go do work with a community, I had a friend of mine who uh, lives a few minutes outside of town show up one day to help me with a building project. It's freezing cold outside. And we'd only known each other for a few months. And had not done a lot of work together, but we had done some stuff out Darcy together. And we we build this chicken coop, and we do a lot of it without even talking. And we just we knew exactly how the other person was thinking. And and I would see he needed a tool, and I go get it. And my and my then wife was watching this, and she's like, "How can y'all work together without even talking? Like, how how are you working without communicating, etc." And I was like, because we have a shared language, we've done work together. You know, we, we, we watch each other work. We, we've been through, it doesn't have to necessarily be adversity, but we've done something with our hands in the presence of the, you know, each other. And I think a lot of guys discount that because like, as the guys in my group are going through the tough class, it's been interesting. Our group is able to, and again, we have a lot of gaps and a lot of areas that we're growing in, but we're able to do some of these squad movements uh easier and with less communication because we've known each other i mean like my brother i've known him all my life i can look at my brother and know okay he wants to go through this door take a right flashbang this room and he's gonna get the guy in the corner like and and that didn't even need to be communicated because we've grown up all our life doing work together and communicating so i just i think that there's a lot of that that gets discounted too when men do work with other men you naturally create a, a relationship and a bond that transfers over into all the cool guy pipe hitter stuff. Yeah, definitely. There, there's a lot of like nonverbal language that you can pick up and learn like nonverbal shared language just by doing stuff together and just by getting out there together. Absolutely. Um, shit, dude, Cap, you've been mad quiet. I have. Yeah, bro, share some stuff. The gators have been attacking yeah. him. That man sneaking through this podcast like Florida doesn't get hit by hurricanes. <laughs> yeah. I've been under a I've been under a bridge in my car and staring down this dude who's fishing. It's been weird. Um oh. yeah. did he catch anything? I guess I'll go Hold on. Did he catch anything? Dude, there's nothing good in this river, man. Oh dude, um, you, you better leave. That dude's that dude's like a rapist or something. 
<laughs> I'm. <laughs> we'll see who's the the rapier rapist. If he pulls up. <laughs> but um, the yeah, chances I'll of there being two this close to each other is very year. weird. I'll go over my experience last year with uh, with Hurricane Ian. I guess the last year, um, what was that? That was September. Holy shit! Wednesday. That was really just last year, dude. It was it was a year ago. The other day that group chat was created, dude. And, um, I, it was. I remember driving, fuck, trying to drive to Sanibel when my buddy told me, "Don't bother." The bridge collapsed. Like, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so they hit the bridge. Ways, our response, they hit the second bridge. Our was like, we had a lot of polar opposite assets to deal with in a lot of ways because we spun up a group chat and arrived at this dude's house in like 24 hours. I didn't know any of these people. They kind of knew each other from online from like, just like, oh yeah, I'm in Florida. Oh, cool. I'll meet you sometime. Yeah, so this is this is the opposite side of the spectrum. This is the complete opposite side. And I mean, we worked with it pretty well, as you'll see, but it was definitely interesting to see. So everyone like brought resources and got to this guy's house. Um, barely knew each other, and he knew this like some dude in the police department in um I think Bradenton area down south where we got hit. And the next morning we all went out and we were going off of Intel, like from the police for most of the first day. And like, it literally got us nowhere because we're trying to go off of weather data and the latest data on which roads flooded, which road isn't the first night we were like on a minute by minute schedule of if these roads are flooded out because the, um, not the dams, but the locks at Lake Okeechobee were overflowing and they were, they were broken or something because the Army Corps of Engineers was out there. And so we, we had to pay attention to all these things of these. It was a rapidly changing environment is what it was to figure out how we would get to the affected areas. And there were a few misconceptions off the bat that certainly hurt our performance, but we threw them aside to help ourselves. And the first was over militancy. Um, everyone assumed that we were not in 2005 Katrina, but we were in Fallujah. So a lot of people brought like plate carriers and rifles and like IFACs and all this crazy stuff, assuming we would like be shooting looters all day, um, which was definitely not the case. Oh, you and weren't? Then, then why did I bring you on? Look, I, I told you I can't talk about that, man. <laughs> My lawyers, you, it's still all over the air. <laughs> It just, dude, I get, I get really stuffed up when I, I get choked up when I talk about him because I had to, I had to look at this. <laughs> God damn it. So the, anyways, militancy. That was the first thing is people, everyone thought they would be like the tip of the spear hurricane response that we would be out there helping people that were like floating away on their homes in the ground zero area. And we found out quickly that that was not the, pace so again another polar opposite is florida has like a bunch of resources for this we had a lot of infrastructure respond to it we had the national guard we had probably several counties worth of police departments fire all that so all of i think it was sanibel island was just cordoned off completely no one was allowed out there i don't even know if cajun navy got out there when we were out there so that was our first 
expectation was just kind of like smashed away was like, oh, we don't get to like help these people in these crazy cool scenarios. Um, so what we ended up doing was, I mean, it was just debris. We helped this old people community. We set up a food station and a medical station because we had a former corpsman use his like pecker checker side experience to help out these <laughs> old people. And we just couldn't wellness text for that first week of groundfall. So we gave out food, we gave out water and did wellness checks on these people, cleared the roads of debris to get other vehicles in to get EMS in because hadn't gone to a lot of these neighborhoods because they weren't terribly hit, but they were still affected. And because they were still affected, there was still a demand for help, which is why we're there. So in the following weeks, there was, it was a lot of construction. So that was, I think that was the main bread and butter that that group did was they cut out just like destroyed drywall that was all moldy. They hauled soaked items out of these people's homes um, because a lot of people were okay. Ultimately, they were fine. It's just all their belongings were destroyed. Yeah. So they needed help guys, getting all that stuff out. And I was, you know, I went to that area for a day. Um, I was just mad busy at the time uh, with like a basically about to pop wife because she was pregnant at the time. And I did end up doing the drive towards that area. And so many places that were the most heavily affected were closed off by national guard or the police but what you know after we talked about this last year and just kind of seeing other people in the area and that group talk about it what what kind of stood out to me is that there's a weird sort of like middle ground where like you said that old people's community where it's not bad enough to warrant federal response right away but those people still are like they still need help and so you're in that super duper weird, like, like these people would be overlooked if it wasn't for the fact that you kind of stumbled upon them because the authorities, Absolutely. the authorities, and therefore all of the big NGOs and nonprofits that are going to be going down to help stuff. Well, this is like the forgotten corridor, like they're 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 yeah. the flyover tech, the flyover communities because you know all the bad stuff happened on the coast. So we need to get to the coast. And it's like, yeah, but the hurricane still hit all of this. And yeah. how long were you guys and there that, for? So I was there for, I was there for three days and then other people were there for longer. And that was another difficulty. Um, again, that you guys didn't have, which thank God you guys were able to do that. Well, but we had people come from all over the peninsula as far North as Gainesville, as far South as, um, like Homestead, Miami. And then, I'm from like Cape Canaveral area. And um, so I could only stay for the weekend because I had to go work. So this whole effort was spearheaded by one guy that owned his own business. So he could just kind of pay to be off another guy. um, I don't know what his work situation was, but there were a few guys who were able to take off of work and just not work to keep this thing going, to keep the momentum going for probably a solid three weeks at least. Um, and that is, and howdy, I'm going to just interrupt you real quick there. You talked about like guys having their own businesses where they can take off. See, I have my own business and so my other buddies did too. And I think that's really key. Like in diversity of a group, having guys that are self-employed, that can take off time during the week is key. So thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, was, absolutely. 
I'm going to let you finish your point, and then I'm going to segue into something that I think Trey and I talked about We were when I was there earlier this year. But go on, Cab. So, yeah, it definitely made it hard to have everyone there constantly. Because, um, yeah, there was room and board, but a lot of guys, like you were saying, they got families, they got wives that are missing them or whatever, and they got to go back to work to pay, like, to pay their bills and stuff. So you can't, like, have that... Um, that group payroll, I've seen you hit on that on your page, Gio, you can't, or at least we didn't, and it would be super cool, but that's just not, that wasn't. Well, I mean, the nature, the nature of the group too was so ad hoc. Like if I understand correctly, it was made like the week of the hurricane type deal. It was made the week of the hurricane. Um, Yeah. You can't, you, those, it was like literally a group of random, like the coalition of the willing sort of thing where you just got all these dudes coming from everywhere that can, and they're trying to put in as much effort as they... Yeah, as and it they would have been remedied by people like people from that area that like basically live there. Because they don't have to drive all the way out. It's not so much of a stretch. Even if they're a half-hour drive out, it's a lot more achievable for them to come out and help. Yeah, and there's, there's a few different things about that. If you're a half-hour away, you know, you can go every day and still have your regular life. Like, even if it's just popping in before work or after work, depending on your schedule. And just checking yeah. up or bringing supplies from somewhere that does have them. But my point yeah. was, cause so so when I was there, I mentioned, when I was in Arkansas uh, with Trey, we were driving around. I, I asked Trey, like, what happened, dude? Because a lot of the stuff still looked damaged. And I'll post the photos. If someone reminds me, I'll post some of the photos I took uh, when I was there. And mind you, this was, what, three months after the tornadoes hit? And, dude, uh, like I said, a lot of the stuff looked like a nuke went off. And Those aren't you real. would think after three months, that's true. Um, it, you would think after three months it would be rectified. But, you know, it was what, what Cab just said. Uh, if you're in these areas, don't depend on the volunteers coming from out of state or out of town. Because at the end of the day, like... If it's an ad hoc group, these people have lives they have to get back to. They're not being payroll. They're not being funded to do this. They're they're going there out of their own goodness of their heart and their own pocket. And unfortunately, that that only gets you a few days or maybe a few weeks. But the, some of the damage is just so widespread. And, you know, couple that with the whole everyone wants to go to the worst possible area, but then they bypass those moderately affected areas and you end up with places that just get ignored yeah it's such a weird sort of like thing because you've got these you end up with these forgotten corridors that are you know they're going to stay derelict for a while and those people are no less affected by these disasters or these emergencies that than the people that were at the epicenter so it's it's like it's tragic and it's kind of something to think about if you live somewhere with disasters it's like look those volunteers are going to come but you either have to make it known that like your area needs special attention if it does like it's like you know a, a community of elderly people or you need to like really start working on that local group for that because ultimately those are the people that are going to be able to help the longest uh, organizations come and go orders get ended by the national guard or the police have to go back to their duties and <clears throat> you might still be left there digging through dirt that actually yeah. also brings up a good question that I have is like <laughs> Trey might actually be able to answer this one better. I don't I don't know, Cabbage, like what your sort of thing on this is, but like how do you go about establishing a good re- relationship with your local police with the possibility of you 
taking like armed action against looters and stuff like that, right? Because even if you're completely in the right and something happens, like anytime there's a national or a natural disaster or anything like that, there's going to be looters. Like it's it's inevitable. Um, and even though like you are completely in the right of dropping some looter who's taking something from somebody who needs it um, or yourself or whatever, like there's a lot of legal stuff that needs to kind of be followed up. And, and I, I would imagine that the best way to go about like building that relationship is, is not walking up to your, your local police station being like, Hey, I have all these guys and we're armed to the teeth and have all this capability and stuff. It would be like, Hey, we want to be able to provide, you know, help with disasters. We want to be let in the know. So that way we can assist you guys and whatnot. Um, and then like, as the trust gets built, then you're like, Oh yeah, by the way, we do a lot of shooting together and stuff like kind of ease into it. Um, but I have no idea. I'm just sort of the recrafting. Cab, I want to, I want to play off something you said earlier, um, like three quick statements about, you know, having time off and guys having to go back to work and all that kind of stuff. Um, there are three things you can do to help increase your ability to help in natural disasters slash just train with the guys, et cetera. Uh, first off is most companies nowadays give a day or two for community service. Um, as much as we all hate, hate HR and we should because they're evil, um, fight them for community service days, like fight them for it. A lot of places it is very, it looks good for them to give away a couple community service days. Second of all, PTO matters and is important. So if you're not your own boss, accumulate PTO, save some. Obviously, use it on things that are like being sick or your family. But having a little bit of PTO, even if it's just a couple of days saved up in the bank for a natural disaster, is critical. And then lastly, this is – I know everybody's sick of harping on it because I'm trying to do it in my own life. Get your bills in order. I can afford to be off for a few days. Because I've got savings and I'm eliminating every month. I'm eliminating a new bill, a new debt, et cetera. The less debt you have, the fewer bills you have, the more, the more mobile you are. Um, I'll, I'll let cab take it away first as far as um, how do you interact with police? Cause I don't know. Are you, are you LEO or I if you can't say that's fine. No, we had some uh, learning experiences interacting with LEOs though, that were definitely uh, illuminating. So, yeah, everyone brought their guns, and we, um, like, when you form your own little organization, and then you show up to the cops, and you're like, hey, we're here to help, and we might shoot some looters. Like, the first thing is, <laughs> like, they're, they're cops, they're not your lawyers, so even if you're buddies with them, they're probably not going to provide the safeguards you're looking for in that scenario. Well, it's a huge liability, too, right? Like, if it's you're, if you're in the wrong by doing that and they endorse it, they're fucked. They, yeah, they are. So you can fantasize about like them being like, all right, we'll, we'll deputize you. But like when they're, when they're out there, they're working and they can't just like take these random dudes who look very random, like for their word and be like, all right, cool. Uh, we got a task for you. And we saw that, um, there was like, there was, um, there was a ground zero Island. And then there was an Island connect that one in the mainland and we were out there clearing out this parking lot and uh, um these cops they 
Like they set off a bunch of sirens and they told everyone to get off on account of a gas leak. They told us to get off the island. And we start packing up all our stuff. We were cutting some trees or whatever and start leaving. And we didn't even get off the island before we parked. And one of the guys talked to the cop. And he's like, hey, what's the deal with that gas leak? The same cop that told us to leave. And he was like, I don't know about any gas leak. Um, so I'm not suggesting they're always going to lie to you. But if you're just some random group, you're a liability in their eyes. Like they have work to do. They have organizations they are already attached to, like Metacores, like Red Cross, um, all these like legitimate organizations. Even if you look legitimate, you're not officially hooked up with them. And that's going to that's gonna be a barricade in some cases. What we did as far as self-defense shooting, but also a PR thing, was at our little um, op board, everyone was told to record everything. You always have your phone charged. You record everything you do. You talk to someone, you turn on your camera. You um, like are doing something that might be good PR, you turn on your camera because we had a public page we posted stuff on. And that definitely works into if there's looters and you get into some sort of confrontation that could escalate into a shooting, you have that camera rolling. Um, that's your body cam. That's the accountability. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. But also probably ease it back on epic fantasies about shooting looters, at least in Florida. It'll happen. But ultimately, if you're doing a hurricane aid, it's not why you're there. It's a contingency. You could, it could happen. Um, our policy was, unless we see looters hurting people, you do not fire on them. You do not confront them. And that was our policy for that. Arguably could be different in ways um, that we can discuss, but that is what we set in place and everyone was told to proceed with caution. At the most, everyone concealed carried on that first one. And later on, we did a, um, some guys did some night security for a church. But it was not, our trip was not militant at all on on the ground. I think, man, that's solid advice, like especially on the camera thing. Because I know we had a lot of that stuff rolling too. Um, the average self-defense shooting is twenty to $25,000 to start out. So, you know, I, I say all the time, like, I don't, I really genuinely don't want to shoot people. But you do not underestimate the 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 power of the presence of a bunch of guys they are 15 literally just standing there um it is a show of power especially when you're some somewhat organized especially when you have it on um when you look professional you don't look like a bunch of you know thugs or you know redneck hillbillies when you actually look professional people are going to listen to you and then the people that are there to cause problems are going to be like nah we're because looters are looking for really easy targets. So like, and again, this is a hard question for me to answer because my dad was a paramedic here in Little Rock during the gang wars. Like I have, I have a lot of cops at my church. In fact, our head of church security, I'm, I do church security at our church. Our head of church security. Where else would you do church team. security? Yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you laugh. Um, also, our community center out of church security at. So there you Whoa. go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, facts and it. logic won the day. Roasted. Get me homeschool, man. Um, no, we, you know, we just had great relationships, and some of the guys in our group are former or current law enforcement. 
Um, so I think, I think just, again, developing those relationships long-term. One of the things that I've done for years, if I've worked in a building with armed security or, you know, I used to live in a small town with some local cops, et cetera, is I would just make friends with them or see them around town or see them at events, et cetera. Me and, like, <laughs> there were some guys that back when ammo was really hard to find like 10 years ago, I, I brought them some ammo um, so they could go train, so they go shoot, et cetera. So just like building relationships, I think is key. But another thing is, and this is a lot of folks want, won't want to hear this, but it's uh, vote harder. Um, in Arkansas, we have, so I used to work in politics, so I, I still have a little bit of this vein inside of me of, you know, politics does still have like a place. And in Arkansas, we have a lot of laws, because, and we've elected a lot of really good people that support our right to to be to have a little more of an aggressive stance in Arkansas. Like here, if I'm walking down the street with night vision, AR-15, a plate carrier, a that is a little out of the ordinary, but it's not going to typically freak people out. And because we have great laws about you know, open carry in natural disasters, oh, that kind of show of force is allowed. Um, the, your, the laws loosen way up when a natural disaster has been declared in Arkansas, as far as you know, like technically if a dude's just in my yard, stealing my stuff and he's looting and there's a storm, like I can just shoot him dead. And, and typically in Arkansas, the law is going to be on my side. So I think that's another Again, I don't recommend anybody do that. You know, just, <laughs> I'm not an attorney. Is, is this the official Darcy uh, doctrine? You did, say, uh, you, you did say <laughs> no disasters fair. were a good cover for uh, you. You have a great point on uniforms, professionalism, um, and I've seen or I've seen case studies of both sides. So we ended up ordering a bunch of neon green shirts. Just it just said Florida yes. Logistics Group, and everyone everyone just wore that. Um, I think I people guess. wore like beaten off uh fatigues beaten down beaten down beaten off <laughs> that's multi-cam black dude it looks like it's- <laughs> no. no it's stained <laughs> no it's i promise um but yeah you have a bunch of shabby guys in like old ucp pants and like old bdus it's just it looks so bad it looks it looks tragic but if you um you mm. buy matching shirts matching pants everyone wears them most importantly, have a matching demeanor to your uniform. You wearing a charity shirt, you should have a charitable face. You shouldn't have this yes. furrowed, growth-fed um, brow, looking all mean and stuff. It's like you're, you're helping old ladies. On the contrast side, you're doing a show of force, same thing. You wear, you look like your, your role. Um, but I guess don't get a mixed match is the important thing I've seen in a few case studies because you'll, you'll look kind of dumb unloading pallets of water with a gun belt and you might even get asked to leave because you're scaring the hose. So <laughs> like, yeah, I guess it's like, it's uniformity. It's IFF, it's professionalism and being aware of your surroundings for which uniforms you're wearing. But well, it's, it's yeah. very important because you gotta, you gotta scrounge all the, the legitimacy you got. If you're an ad hoc organization, you betcha. Yeah. It's a lot that of dressing was- for the job. It is. That was a lot of like what we did here local. Like so my church handed out t-shirts. Um, and so I made sure that every single dude I was working with got a t-shirt. Um, yeah. That way it was organized. Um, you know, we, a lot of us wore, you know, Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, a group I'm a part of, you know, that, 
that, and, and I'm, I'm high up in that organization as far as like training and, and all that stuff goes. And so that, that allowed me to get through a lot of checkpoints and move around without a lot of interference. And, you know, I just think you're exactly right. Like looking, looking professional, like all of my guys didn't show up. All my friends didn't show up, you know, in, in multicam. Um, everybody showed up in Cowards. pants. And <laughs> and a brightly colored shirt, you know, either safety green or safety yellow or safety orange, and went to town and got to work. And you know, we've decided now, like we've kind of all got like a, a certain hat that we wear now for disaster relief, and and it's great because everybody sees it. In fact, that like several weeks into the cleanup. A lot of people were going, oh, yeah, the guy in the uh, the orange hat. Yeah, we remember him. Yeah, he came through here, et cetera. Um, and it just kind of showed, like, hey, it worked. But vice versa, if we wanted it, when we were trying to keep looters away and we wanted to look like paramilitary, that's pretty easy to do, too. Um, and it people don't want to mess with you then because the goal is not to be friendly with, you know, Nancy down the street. It's to scare away a bunch of dudes wanting to do bad stuff. So. Absolutely. I do want to bounce off of what you were saying earlier about knowing people. Um, that is probably the most valuable resource you can do outside of the immediate disaster. I was talking to a few guys who had led up the hurricane relief um, earlier. I think it was in the spring talking about what we can do to get ahead of this season curve. And all it is was networking. The more people, you know, in your immediate area, you know, in other areas in real life and a little bit online, to where you can reach out and be like, oh, yeah, you're in, I don't know, Tallahassee. Okay, we can shoot your stuff this way. But also knowing lots of people in real life, um, it sounds like common sense. But knowing people at your church, being known at your church, because if they see you and they know you, they're like, oh, yeah, it's so-and-so. I know him from church. He's, he's a good guy. He's here to help. You gather that local rapport. You make yourself locally known, and you know everyone locally that is something you can develop on the off time because stockpiling resources um, is really intensive. And that's the other thing that hurricane relief organizations do. And it's really hard for the little guy to do because it's very space intensive. It is, but it's at the same time, it's not, if, if again, like you were saying, you do it right and you build a network because every group tries to have everything and they don't need that. Like I was explaining this to some of the guys in my group recently because they, there's a few of them. They're like, well, we want everybody to be a door kicker. And I'm like, but we don't, we don't need that. You know, like one of the, the number, the number of weird phone calls I had to make during the disaster or during the tornado was funny. I mean, one of them was like, okay, we needed t-shirts because like you being a hurricane, when you lose everything, everything's waterlogged and covered in insulation, just crap everywhere. You, you, you lose all your clothes. I had a friend that used to work at a t-shirt factory that's, that's close by. And I called him up and in an hour we had a giant trailer with like a thousand t-shirts. And it's one of the things like, I'm never going to do it at a store, all that kind of stuff, but I know a guy. And I think that's what's key is. And again, it's genuine. I've known this guy for years and he knows that if I'm calling up, most time I'm calling up to see how he's doing. Um, or it might've been a couple years since I've talked to him, but we have that, that, that repertoire. But the problem is, it's uh, everybody thinks that they have to store everything up themselves, and the reality is, it's just all about who you know. 
if you know the right people, they've got it for you. And if they buy in so forth, then you can utilize that as part of your network. Not everybody has to be in that inner circle. That makes sense. Yeah, and it, it, it just it echoes the same concepts that are useful in pretty much every part of life. It's, it, it very much matters well, who you know and what's your relationship to them. Um, I can tell you, living now on a island that has a population of you know towns. Uh, it, it's so much, like name matters so much here because it really is who you know. Obviously, if you say who your family is and they don't recognize it, you might not get the respect that you might merit because you're a stranger. But if you're, let's say, you know, let's say I would say my my wife's family's name, uh, who's been established here for a few decades. What is it? I mean, I'm not going to say it? it. Okay. It what rhymes with Joe Rogan. <laughs> oh no no no! no. Um, oh, I know them. Yeah, of course you do. But like, it, you'll literally say that name, and all of a sudden, people's attitudes change because you're no you're no longer like an unknown quantity, and there's some sort of expectation, not just in who you are and what you represent, but like also what would happen to you if you're lying about it. If that makes sense. Like, it, it ultimately, you know, the, the TLDR, the bottom line up front for all this is, like, it matters who you know, and it matters who you represent and how that's seen by the people around you. Just like in any other scenario in life, any other situation, it, it's almost always a networking thing. So, you know, who you know is all, oftentimes going to be more valuable than, you know, like, like Tracer, than what you have. Yeah. And I think that is it. I don't, so, Trey, do you have like large disaster response organizations up there? Um, like, we have Red Cross that responds a lot. <laughs> LOL, Red Cross. Um, they, uh, yeah, not a fan of Red Cross. Um, they, we have Salvation Army that is, and I'm hoping, I, I went to a really cool internal like disaster leak meeting recently. And Salvation Army is making some big moves nationwide, but especially here in Arkansas, to really take over a lot of stuff that Red Cross does. Um, Red Cross is an international NGO um, that has a lot of negative foreign influence. I appreciate the things that they've done, but they were, they were showing up like a month after the tornado. Hey, we're here to help with this. We're here to help with that. And we're like, well, we've already done it. All these other church organizations beat you to it. So we have Southern Baptist Disaster Relief is the biggest. Um, it's so big here that we actually have like our own command structure that's full-time that's at our Baptist convention. That's what I'm a part of. I've been a part of that for eight years now. And, man, they rock. Um, and I'm, again, going to shelf, <laughs> so, um, shamelessly pimp the, uh, the name because like, people need to figure out who they are in their area. And if you can join, do it. You get access to tons of free training, free equipment. Um, I mean, we got we got we got 50% off like chainsaw gear. Um, all of my safety gear, I've got $500 worth of safety gear and again, I paid maybe 200 bucks for it. Um, and so I use it on disasters, but I can also use it for myself personally. And the networking is killer because those guys 
especially in a state like Florida. So Arkansas sent a whole, a whole contingent during Hurricane. What was the hurricane you had in September? What was it called? Ian. Ian. Oh, this year? We, uh, no, no last year. The, the oh, Ian yeah, one. Yeah. We, we sent a whole contingent. Like We, we did the feeding for like 6,000 people down there for like three or four weeks. And that's pretty, that's pretty normal. Um, and so Southern Baptist disaster relief is huge. The Methodists have a pretty big um, disaster relief group. We have a small Mennonite community. They've got one. So again, Salvation Army. And then, man, our state entities rock. Um, like Arkansas Department of Emergency Management. We have uh, emergency managers for every county as well. Um, they're great. And then just a lot of our churches. I mean, we're... Again, we're Bible. We are the buckle of the Bible Belt, and so we have a lot of, you know, Protestant evangelical churches that are huge. There are thousands of people, and even the small ones, they all have their own disaster relief group. So, it's. I mean, when the tornado hit, we got one church alone between my church and one other church. I think we flooded in about fifteen hundred volunteers. It actually overwhelmed the infrastructure because there's nowhere to park all the cars. But I mean, we we were cleaning up entire neighborhoods in twenty four hours because every yard has fifty fifty people, ten of who are running a chainsaw. Um, I did not buy or cook a meal for three weeks straight because there was just food being handed out, like good food, not like. Not like a nasty bowl and water hot dog. I mean, I'm talking about like barbecue, fish fries. Like one of the gourmet restaurants did like a whole burger and salad spread. And I mean, everybody came together. Now, granted, I was about to say, what's wrong with bowl and hot dogs? Ah, uh, man, I'm after the sixteenth one, <laughs> that's when you chop but, it up, and put it in mac and cheese. That yeah, you yes. made the point. I was gonna make way better. Is that uh? Other organizations now, I put out Red Cross randomly. I didn't know they were bad or whatever. But um, like I'm even speaking from my personal experience, I'm not oh, gonna, yeah. I'm not going to put it out there for everybody. But more, again, more than mine. But even like just getting your guys, like let's say I got my guys in my county and be like, hey, let's go volunteer with Medicors and go help them out because they're going to go. They are linked with the government. It's a little bit harder for us to get linked with the government here as it is, but Medicors or Salvation Army or whoever they are and you can just sign up and help and you can go out there and do it. Um, so it's a side thing but yeah, you definitely made the point better of what those organizations do and their um, their agency. Yeah, getting... So FEMA started... They started this about 10 years ago and each year it's getting exponentially um, more difficult. They are really cracking down, and I understand why. I'm not supporting it. I just I understand why, though. They're cracking down on who can get into disaster relief areas, and we. I mean, we're we're three to five years away from all these groups that want to go in and do stuff won't be able to get in. I mean, they're they're they have a list of like ten to twelve organizations, and if you're not on that list, even if you're like a local church, etc., FEMA's not going to allow you in. Now, that's going to be contested in court. But regardless, that's where they're heading. And I understand, again, I understand why, because they're trying to avoid, mainly Texas and Florida, they're trying to avoid this crush of thousands of, tens of thousands of people and hundreds of groups coming in and people being injured, people dying, theft, all that kind of stuff. So, well, the problem, a problem too, is like you become a, a hot zone for disaster tourism. 
Yeah. Makes sense. Like dudes just want to show up just because they can say, or they can take photos and be like, yo, like, look at this shit. It's so bad here. There's dead bodies sticking out of, out of the. It's they also a... want to keep disaster zones empty for kill squads. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, so they can roll in. So they can roll in the uh, the secret IRS joint IRS FEMA Gestapo. The Gestapo. Yeah, FEMA, FEMA camp. Tell me, come on now. I don't know, man. I used to joke about the FEMA camp thing, but we got kind of close during COVID. We got, we got <laughs> close, it, man. It, it got a little. Uh, it got a little bit of an uncomfortably close. Uh, now, the only reason that we did not have FEMA camps is just simply because there's like how many tens of millions of AR-15s floating around. So, I yeah, I mean, it's that's that's one of those things with I, I really encourage other guys wanting to get involved and, and do stuff to, like Cab was saying, legitimize yourself. Because here's the thing. It's, if I go and I tell people yeah, I mean, I take my night vision in the woods and I train and, you know, we're getting ready for like, you know, whatever incident you want it to pretend that you're, you know, going to fight in or whatever. People think you're weird. It's strange. It turns folks off. But if you say, hey, um, I'm attached to like op for Darcy or I like to go shoot with my police friends, et cetera. Huh? Oh, yeah. There you go. Everybody take a Thanks, drink. Um. You know, or uh, I do disaster relief, or I do this with my church, or I'm part of this like shooting organization. Again, I love that American culture is more open to the idea of um, civilian marksmanship and more open to the idea of kind of the Minuteman or, you know, an arm populist or whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm thankful for that. But the reality is there's still most of society that's uncomfortable with that. They need to get over it. That's their problem. But at the same time, you have to work within the confines of what you've got. And so I'm always looking for ways to, for lack of a better term, in the public's eye, legitimize what they're doing. Because if I had for the last 15 years talked about my my militant militia group that just goes out and you know trains the end of the world, and then the tornado hit and we're all out there helping people in, you know, plate carriers and ARs and, you know, our, our cute little patches, people would have been weirded out. And not only that, nobody would have helped us. But because it was, hey, we're a bunch of guys that are involved in our local churches and we do disaster relief, et cetera, you know, we we got we we, we were legitimized and we got so much help. I mean, I I'm looking at right now, I'm in my I'm in my, my office gun room area, and I'm looking at a box. I think I showed Geo, or I might not have had it put together when he was at my house, but I have a commo box that is like all Okay, good. Um, I paid zero dollars for that, not because I took advantage of people, but because we didn't have reliable cell phone reception for like three, three, four weeks. And it was two and a half months before my phone reliably worked because for all three of our cell phone towers in this area were, were bit in half by a tornado and both of our fire stations were taken out. Um, but regardless, we used radios for all of our big group stuff, um, all of our volunteer days, et cetera. And I had two of my customers who are multimillionaires that were like, Hey, we hear you're helping. We're literally going to write you a blank check. What do you need? And I was like, man, I need like 25 valve fangs. I need some battery packs. 
um, some chargers, some antennas, some earpieces, because I was like, we're trying to communicate with phones and it doesn't work. And they're like, oh yeah, sure. And I mean, I just like, okay, now I have that comms kit for a training day with the guys, or if I want to teach them how to use radios or like at my job right now where I work, I'm teaching some of the, some of the guys how to use radios for when we're having to do like irrigation projects and stuff. I have that kind of stuff because I was a legitimate, because we were a legitimate group and people wanted buy-in and I just, man, I'm going to harp on it and sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm long-winded here on this, but I mean, Gio and I've talked ad nauseum about it. This isn't hard, but like what you guys did down in Florida Make yourself legitimate, and you'll get help. You'll get assistance, and you'll be able to, to move the needle, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just, um, you know, it, it's like beating at that horse, those relationships, those networks, and then proving that you are who you say you are. If you are there to help, you know, prove you can help, even if it's not the sexy stuff that you want to do. Do the stuff that needs to get done. And people take notice. And the other thing, too, is with influence comes power. As pragmatic of a statement as that sounds, to some degree, I wouldn't doubt that those people that bought that combo equipment, to some degree, want to be in your good graces. At the very least, because if, you know, a disaster comes to their area, they now have someone in, in the phone book they can call that's reliable and that they have some rapport built with you. And I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm not saying it was anything but altruism, but it, it's a very real thing where guys want to buy basically like paper. And it's not a, as even though it sounds bad, it's not always, it's not like a negative thing. Well, it's that mutual assistance that, yeah. you know, you talk about the mutual assistance group. It's like, Hey, I'm your buddy. I'll help you if you help me kind of deal. And that's what yeah. the underlying like guys of the whole thing is, um, or the underlying intent of the whole thing is. Um, well, that's but that's the, the same thing with companies there. too. Right. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to provide you with the stuff. So that way, if something happens on our doorstep, you can use this stuff and help us in return. Well, it's like a no, you, you know. No, you're exactly right. People, yeah, it's that it's that stupid phrase we all hear in business classes or business seminars or whatever. People move with the movers. It's dumb, but it's true. I mean, people are going to look for somebody. They're going to look for somebody that looks like they have everything together and they know what they're doing, and they're going to be like that guy. That's who I want to. That's who I want to hang out with. That's who I want to help with. That's that's the person that's gonna that looks like they know um, what they're doing. And I think that's I think that's key is yeah. There's some buy-in from other people too in a disaster. Um, you know now. I mean, I look at my neighborhood now. I have these these great relationships with people, and some of them have hired me to do work on their house, or I've helped them, you know, repair things, or they cook meals, or we've had cookouts between people, or. I've been able to get church funds that were donated to help clean up our park and just all this cool stuff of just utilizing and building these networks, not in some skeevy, like I'm using you kind of way, but in a way it's mutually beneficial. Again, society has been since, since the Renaissance society has worked that way. We've worked in small communities that help each other. We just recently in the last 30, 40 years started getting away from that. Um, you know, 
if something works for hundreds of years, for it. Um, and that is society has been centered around community and society has been centered around churches. And so that's a, that's a system that works. And why try to, you know, rewrite that? Yeah. It's, um, it's just interesting how we've departed from that. And it's like a shame that we have to basically reinvent. Just we're so distant from that, you know, religious based society or that community-based society that we had 100 years ago or 200 years ago or, you know, however far back. So, yep, exactly right. Um, Man, I wish there was a globally-sized church that could just help people like this. <laughs> That's right. That's right. What are we talking about? Uh... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, My church is global too. What was that? What kind of church do you go to? I go to a Calvary Chapel. Oh, cool! I like that. And then an entire year Catholic, correct? Yeah. Do y'all have a do y'all have a disaster relief group? Because again, like we Catholics, I I went to the only college and lived in one of the few towns that has Catholics. Um, here in Arkansas, like Catholicism is just very, very small here. So I don't really know a lot about it. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine, um, the, pro- it's, it's sort of difficult for me to say anything like that because like the church I, I grew up in, I wasn't very active into that degree. Um, and then the church now that I'm a part of is very small and, um, we're essentially trying to kind of rebuild the whole community thing, but I think that it's something that, because uh, I'm I'm part of like the the like men's group that suggests things and helps plan and all that. Um, so yeah, yeah. providing like a disaster relief thing would be something that would be kind of beneficial. But at the same time, like I said before, like we don't we don't really have disasters here. Like any any disaster that happens here is like an individual thing. Um, it's not generally like a widespread, like, Hey, this entire block was wiped out. Like, you know, uh, maybe like a year ago we had some pretty bad storms and lightning struck a couple of trees on my street and a couple of people were like out of power for a few days. And, you know, there was like a little bit of flooding that you could still drive through with a normal car. So, you know, aside from the couple of people that had to pull insurance claims to get new roofs and stuff for their houses because of the trees, like, the worst that happened was was a slight inconvenience on your way to work. Well, y'all have I totally forget. Uh, Catholics have like Knights of Columbus, which yep. we do have a small Knights of Columbus group here. Super unbelievably based. There's some of the I used to be in a deer camp with a bunch of Knights of Columbus guys, and they were really big on like doing projects for, like widows or like impoverished people in the church. Um, I. I may or may not have stolen some of their ideas because you know a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the evangelical churches are big on the disaster relief, but we're not very good at we're working on it, but we're, we're not very good or not very organized on doing a lot of like the widows, orphans, impoverished folks kind of ministries. Um, and yeah, so, that that's sort of one of the biggest cool. things about like the Catholic Church that is really good is like the amount of charity work that the church does globally is is unmatched. Um, you know, orphanages, like making sure that the proper, um, 
you know, people that adopt kids are, are vetted and everything for orphanages to make sure that, you know, not, not only that kids go to good homes, but that they're not aborted in the first place. Is there like all mm-hmm. the, all the general, like worldwide, um, charities are, are really big, but yeah, I, I definitely think that, um, you know, it, it would make a lot more sense down where you guys are at to have like a, a real big push on disaster relief. Um, for us, there, there is like, I don't know. There, there's definitely some stuff that should be noted, like when the the Roe v. Wade uh, thing was overturned. There was vandalism at my church, and the only one like in the whole county. Um, I think that they know that we're like an extremely traditional church, um, so it based. We think that it was like a very targeted thing, um, and it was just like spray paint and stuff. It, it definitely could have been worse, but you know, there there's the question being brought up of like church security and stuff like that. So like we have that, but no, it was, it's just kind of interesting because the, the building that our church was in like years ago, um, like the, the church that they, they occupied was not, uh, safe any longer, like structurally. So they ended up, uh, you know, getting, getting out of the building and then they moved into the where the school is. There's like a little chapel within the school. So right now we're working on fundraisers and all that stuff to be able to build a new church on the property. So when the when the move occurred, a lot of people left because it moved like a couple towns over. Um, and you know there there's kind of some the the overall amount of people in the church really died down. And it's starting to be built back up now. I'm still pretty new to the church, only like a couple of years now, but yeah. So, is your church a pregnancy support center? Talking about abortions and stuff. Uh, I'm not sure to be honest. I don't. I don't know if if we do specifically. Um, that is a good question, though. We have. Uh, and this is something you bring up something great. I was gonna delve into the whole church security thing because cab our church does not have a pregnancy center we have like one center that a whole bunch of local churches all support um because we one church wasn't we get we have so much need so what they did was they built a pregnancy center literally right next door to Planned Parenthood and (laughs) then oh yeah they shared the parking lot and then abortion abortion was overturned last year like the Planned Parenthood is essentially empty. And then the other Planned Parenthood uh, closed down because they had nobody coming to them. So now our crisis pregnancy center is like overflowing with people. And so all the churches kind of get together and do stuff there. But what's cool is like that, the church, even a lot of like the parochial um, schools or the, um, the uh, Christian schools, there's security opportunities there. And so I think a lot of guys should look into that as well as far as, you know, hey, there's an opportunity to, you know, be legitimized in your training um, to to train, which is super cool. Like I know our church has a has a big security team. We actually now have a budget for ammunition and we have a, uh, one of the guys at our church owns a range and we get to go out there. And um, I've actually kind of been eyeing some of the guys in, on our security team and like, Hey, maybe they would be a 
good dude to bring in to the group or, you know, Hey, they're a really good shot. Or they really like to, you know, they've got some good gear, et cetera. Like, I, I think that's another, again, if you're looking for guys to be, a, to, to partner with, if you're looking for other guys to train with, et cetera. I just I keep going back to you. Like there's so many opportunities within the church. And again, it's a great way to pull cover and people not raise eyebrows. Yeah. And especially like, at least here, I think it's in every state, but you got to get your your certifications for armed security. Uh, here it's like D class, G, it's C and G. I have both of them. Okay, the yeah. Shakes, the pay um, license is for, um, I believe that's for instructing. Like if you want to be able to sign people off, so they can get the D and G. Yeah, yeah. I think when I was reading at K's instructors, um, that's going to open you up to like network with other people that do security. Um, and also, yeah, absolutely legitimize it. I should probably take those classes. But our local Baptist church does a lot of charity for homeless people. And then we have a pregnancy center. But def- definitely getting a group of guys together for hurricane stuff. My church has, it's like Boy Scouts. It's called Trail Life, except like the instructors yeah. don't bless kids. Um, <laughs> yeah, they do that. Trail Life. They do that every awesome. week. It's really cool. They're like, they're out there with kids every week. I think I'm going to probe those guys, all those dads, because they're obviously interested in being out and active men of God. Um, get them out, see who's interested in disaster response. Because in that downtime, taking classes, I want to say FEMA offers certain classes for disaster response, Thank taking you. first aid classes, um, and getting those skills, as well as so, cultivating a group of guys to know. So one of the best advice that I've got Someone, I don't know if it was in person or through Instagram, I think it was a person. So take another shot. But um, one of the best advice I got is that if you take all like online FEMA courses for disaster relief and for disaster response, you are going to learn the language that all these organizations use during an emergency. And if you learn the language and you talk the talk, they might be much more amenable to your cause because they no longer have to explain everything to you or they might feel that way. So it might be another way to kind of, and and I've written about this uh, a while ago, basically like the standardization of terminology concepts and ideas to some degree has to happen because otherwise like, like, you know, um, the Marine Corps calls a wedge what in the army they call a diamond. And it's, it's, yeah, you guys are idiots. Yeah. You guys are fucking morons, but, um, that distinction is like, is a point of friction. If you, you know, you go and grab someone for either service and you tell them, okay, make it, you know, make a diamond for drawing diamond formation. They draw something completely different. Or they say draw a wedge and they draw something completely different. That's the point where if you're running an ad hoc group in the field, it's going to be a problem. But if, They've already worked on that common terminology and what they've agreed on it. it. It's not going to be a hiccup. And, you know, if you take those FEMA courses and you learn how FEMA refers to certain things and you learn their phrasing and terminology and you can show up and be like, hey, look, I've done this. I've done the homework. My organization's done the homework where this is this. Like you, you might be able to get more access to what you want to do. Geo, those are really those team. Yeah, those FEMA classes are online. They're like all the incident. They're I, the IC classes, like IC seven hundred. There's three hundred and four hundred. They're 
they're um they're pretty easy to do you can do them in a few hours and they they do give you the language the other program that fema does it's really big out on the west coast it's really not big in other parts of the u.s because it's so geared towards earthquakes and wildfires but i mean it's the the, the course is gold it's called cert c-e-r-t um it, there's been a couple of guys in the preparedness community that have had a They've tried to break into the tactical community and like talk about this class and they never get any traction. And I think eventually at some point I'm going to do a post on it because there, I did start eight years ago. You get, does that, you get uh, search and rescue certified first aid. Um, if you have a really good start program, you'll learn uh, how to use ham radios. So AK Balfangs, um, you'll do uh, basic fire suppression, I mean, it's endless, the amount of stuff you do. Um, if you take the class in person, I went to one of our best disaster relief counties. Um, it was about an hour north of me. Yes, I drove an hour, like two, three days a week, one way to take this class. But it was that important. Um, and I, I got all of this awesome information hands-on. I mean, everything was real. Um, if, there was, if you were learning how to fight fires, you, they set real fires. They gave you real fire extinguishers. And you learned how to fight it. Um, the final scenario was everybody in Arkansas is preparing for the New Madrid fault, this earthquake fault that they believe is going to rupture at any given year. Um, it did in 1812, and it was devastating. And so we did an earthquake. So we walked into this warehouse where they had staged stuff. They actually went to like the local college. They got all these like drama, art, theater, makeup artists, and they had like real wounds. So we have to walk through with our group, triage, um, find obstacles. They actually had like sparking wires. We had to put tourniquets on people who actually had blood coming out. You know, fake blood coming out of their leg, and they were screaming and had real fires. It was the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Now I know every cert program doesn't go to that level, but I did that cert class with some friends. Um, actually, including everybody, take a shot. One of uh, a guy's pretty big out at Darcy. And he, uh, he and I were so glad that we took that together because, like, when we respond to a disaster together, we speak the same language. And you get a fed, you get a federally recognized ID badge. And so I showed up with my cert backpack and my ID cert FEMA. They didn't even ask me if I was search and rescue qualified. They just like, oh, yep, you're hopping a group and, and go kick doors. Um, and, and typically, you can get, like, your whole mutual assistance group cert, uh, certified, and you can create, like, your own cert group. So you can actually respond to disasters where, where sometimes even the local law enforcement can't get in. You as a cert group can get in um, because you've got that FEMA. Ticket. I've got a golden ticket. Say it again. Hands. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's the group. <laughs> that's the one I was thinking about with FEMA is – one of the people in our group actually took those classes and they were mentioning that I just couldn't think of it. Yeah. That sounds way better than they described. Um, definitely heavy. You get that legitimization as well as actually learning like disaster relief stuff versus being like, Oh yeah, we got water bottles and, um, chainsaws, mm-hmm. which not to say it won't help, but like knowing what's going on, knowing all that stuff. So you're in line with these people or at least you're on the same thoughts, same mindset is invaluable. Mm, absolutely. 
Yeah, definitely. But I guess if if you were to sum up like the kind of most important things to do to get your groups like ready for natural disaster stuff, what what would you say that the biggest things are? Cal, I'll let you go first. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you go first. No, oh, yeah. the old Mexican. You got, stand you got 15 years in this, dude. Um, I, and I'm still learning a ton. I. So, what's the best way to get groups trained and prepared? Um, I think it's a. I think there's there's three steps you can you can take. The first one is going to be. Uh, the simple things like cutting firewood, learning how to operate machinery, trying to make your career or what you do for a living. Like for me, my career and what I do for a living um, teaches me all those skills for disaster relief, which is super cool. And I'm very blessed to get to do that. Um, so I think finding a way in your daily life to actually use those skills. Um, I think second, acquiring training whether it be through, I mean, there's all these organizations, even if it's just some old guy uh, that really knows all this stuff. Um, I mean, that's how I learned how to chainsaw trees with my ex Marine Corps uncle that dragged me out to the woods. Cause yeah. I was a weak, I, I was such a piece of crap in college. I was whiny and I was weak and I needed just to toughen up and be a man. Um, and my uncle was embarrassed. And so he drug me out in the woods for like three years and taught me how to fell trees and pack them out on my back. And I, uh, that was, that's huge. So I think training is the second. And I think the last part of that is obtain legitimacy, uh, AKA certifications. I hate that the world wants certifications for everything. I'm a horticulturalist. I have no horticultural degree. I have some certifications, but I, I know more than most horticulturalists that come out of college do because I've worked in the field and I've got that experience. But that doesn't matter. I have to work within society, within culture, and culture has said certifications are important. So finding a way to integrate in your everyday life, acquiring that training. And if people are interested in that, DM me on Instagram. I'm pretty easy to find. I live a pretty public life Um, because, like I said, if you come unwelcome to my house, I'll either make you dinner or, yeah, uh, redact. Turn you into dinner. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you are other. Oh, you're going into the soup. You weren't welcome. I'll make you into you're dinner. Into I'll, soup. I'll make you into dinner. I'll make you into fertilizer. Yeah. yeah. Hey, that's I tell people that all the time. I'm like, it's like, oh, I'm gonna come to your house and there's a disaster. And I'm like, listen, man, the massive homestead garden in the back. Like, I don't stockpile any fertilizer. I'm relying on you. Um, <laughs> you are my mobile fertilizer. I say that a lot. Like, so much so, I've made a few people uncomfortable. But I'm like, then stop saying you're going to come to my house and take all my stuff. You um, are my strongest market <laughs> source. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah that was, that's what I would everything say. Everything you said. And then the one thing I noticed outside of those is be on your toes. Um I was going through our group chats and we had um, a dude who ran his own group interface with ours. And it was, this was this year with this most recent hurricane, we were mobilized again <laughs> and it was probably, it was a few days out from landfall and he was trying to coordinate like, Oh, where are we going to go? I got to get my guys here, get my guys here. Cause he was willing to drive a few days out, like bless his heart. But he was trying to make like predictions on where we'd have to deploy. And we we're like, dude, we don't know. Like, 
with hurricanes, at least it's it's unpredictable because you get this stupid spaghetti map. But just be on your toes and be ready to move because we thought we were doing one thing and we did a totally different thing um, for that hurricane. But as you said, get certifications, get legitimacy, get your normal life squared away. As you were saying before, get your savings account, financial lifestyle stabilized, get your family acquainted with this stuff comfortable to where it's not like your autistic hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, to where it's like, oh yeah, he's going out with his buddies again to romp around in the woods. It's like they know you, getting all that stuff in line. Um, very important, even outside of this stuff. Because, yeah, sure, you know chainsaws for a hurricane, but you could use it in your normal lifestyle. That first aid you learn in the cert course is going to be more domestically applicable, that's the word, than like your one-on-one times or knowing how to do platoon movements. Not saying it's not useful to know how to lead a platoon, but those things are going to be, you're going to see them used more, those disaster response things. That's what I would say is a lot more useful. And and that's one thing that I think is important to clear up is like, you know, you had said like, okay, this stuff is more useful, not to say that this stuff isn't because a lot of people will listen. And if you say like, hey, based on everything, I think that this is a more important thing to train. Um, a lot of people will like immediately jump and be like, oh, so you don't think that this is important? And it's like, well, yeah, it still is. But when you, when you take it into consideration that you have like a limited amount of bandwidth in your brain and you can only train certain things at, a, at the same time and all that, like you're going to need to prioritize what's more important. And if your area is completely covered with natural disasters or, or I guess I don't want to say completely covered, but if natural disasters are really common in your area, but you're driving two hours to go out in the woods to train platoon movements, like what's, what's on your back, you know, your back step, like what's more important, what's more relevant. Yeah. Yeah, It's about, yeah, you should definitely do an area study to figure those things out. That's one thing. Area study. If you're not a local, you should do an area study of your area and know everything there is to know about where you live. If you are a local, you should do one too. You should do one too. You write it down. Whether you spread it out or not, that depends on what's in the area study. If it's got some interesting info, keep it under lock and key. But like what organizations exist, what utilities there are, what highways there are, where's your evacuation routes for blizzards, earthquakes, uh, hurricanes, how does that stuff work? Uh, gas, electrical, we saw that made a difference because some people don't have gas utilities. All that yeah. info, so if you have a disaster, you can go to your other group guys be like, hey, here's all the info. Or if you're driving a few hours out to a different town, your buddy's like, hey, I got this binder full of info. And that's going to prove its value quickly. Yeah. Um, just, to kind of Absolutely. Quickly, just to kind of touch quickly on the area study thing. Uh don't always assume you're going to be the one reading the area study or like referring to it. Life is weird and there are many circumstances in which you, you might have to just delegate that to someone else. You might not be co-located with it. And to some degree, depending on obviously what you're putting in there, but if it's like, you know, free public use sort of thing and it's just like open source Intel, it, it serves for you to make it very like user friendly because you might have to talk your wife into like 
like over a radio or over a phone, a spotty connection or something, and be like, hey, look, I need you to find this phone number for this address that I have written down in, you know, the binder. Yeah. And it, like, if they can't find that dude and you, you only have like 10% battery or something, like you are really cutting it close. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it should be, you should pass that thing around. Um, yeah. And people should know it exists if it's all open source stuff and they should know where to find it because it's ultimately a group tool. Area study is really important because it's, I mean, we, I've done one in my general area and, and knowing there was a back road that ended up becoming a main artery. And because I knew that that existed and I knew how to get there and I knew how to get the keys and I had guys that could clear it, we were able to move all of our people in and out when everybody else, I mean, the entire city of Little Rock was completely stalemated because of the tornado. You couldn't move anywhere for two days, but we could get folks around as long as they could get to the interstate. And and now my entire like Geo's been here, my entire neighborhood looks different. I'm in the process of doing a whole new area study because there are businesses, homes, there's whole neighborhoods like city blocks that don't exist anymore. So yeah, cab awesome point, man. I, I'm embarrassed I forgot that. Like area study was so key in us being able to get around because when there's no road signs, when your cell phone doesn't work, when you can't find GPS and all your all your markers are gone, that's critical. Yeah, there is a, I don't have a link to it. You can probably find it. There's an area study guide from, from like the GWAT and it won't tell you everything you know, but it'll show you how much there is to know. Um, this one's on counterinsurgency. So it's going to go over like religious history, but it gives you so many prompts of like, oh yeah, what is, what is this dynamic? What's this structure in the infrastructure? How's that work? What's this? And it's all questions that you should know about your area. Mm-hmm. so i'll try to find it and i might send it on my in the discord and i'll probably put it on my story for everyone but it's yeah, very know, helpful to know i know mike shelby has some good guides about it too if you're mike shelby, hey, yeah mike's legit he's a um, great resource for this stuff what was i gonna say i feel like we're wrapping this up i think we are it's been a while um if i had to say one thing to kind of summarize the podcast, I guess it'd be this. Joe Rogan. You, Joe Rogan. Uh, Darcy. Uh, Darcy, Darcy, Darcy. Drink everything you got right now. <laughs> yep. Fin- finish them off. Whatever, whatever you no. do, whatever you do, do not go to MidwestTactical.com and use Code Longhouse. <laughs> do not. Do not. Okay, okay so I remember what I was going to say. As an organization you don't deserve respect or access or anything. You have to earn it. And you're going to earn it by doing stuff that you might not always want to do. And maybe you might not even be in the limelight, but it's going to pay dividends as time goes on. You're building that reputation. It's not built in a day. A lot of guys want the fast and cheap solution to stuff or they want to roll in. Uh, carrying a hammer and everything's a nail and it's just not the case the more flexible and useful you are as an organization you need to be a multi-tool swiss army knife because you know not everything needs a long gun conversely not everything needs a chainsaw and there's going to be tools and tasks and problems that are going to come up that are going to need real you know unique solutions yeah and like i said every you know, I'll just reiterate it. 
Yeah, attacking you, the you as an organ, you as an organization do not deserve no. anything. Like you don't deserve respect. You don't deserve access to any of this stuff. You have to earn it because that's just how people see you. You're a stranger until you aren't, and you're you're only as much of an asset as you make yourself to be, and you have to prove it. It's not simply enough to say you're one. You have to do it. It's it's one of those like the guy who says he's some deficiency there. Yeah, I declare bankruptcy. When you're uh, when you're attacking the problem of people needing help, you need to approach it as someone who says, "I am here to help. I am here to serve you." You don't. Yeah, you don't come in as you're saying you don't deserve that. You got to earn that. And to jump off that is your reputation is going to develop, and it very much matters. They're gonna if they don't already know you, they're gonna know you by what you do. No, you're exactly right. You got to you got to have you've got to have some self-esteem and some self to follow you. Cuz I I have between money I've touched, people, people volunteers, etc. I've done about a quarter of a million dollars for the work since the tornado. There's no news stories about me, really even my church. My church has received I mean, the first couple of weeks we got a ton of press, but we've gotten very little since then. Nobody's reporting on any of this kind of stuff, and all these people are doing it without any desire for notoriety. And I think that's, Gio, that's really important. And like what you said too, Cab, you've got to go in there knowing I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do, not because I'm going to get out of boys for it. Yeah. I remember last year there was <laughs> there was a, uh, a white supremacist organization that pulled up to Hurricane Ian and supposedly helped people. And the basis of what they did was like handing out water bottles with like their stickers on it and just pushing the group. It was it was really funny. I forgot which organization it was, but we heard that and we we're like, dude, this is so stupid. Um, because everyone that we organized with had their own groups. Some had public names, some didn't. And everyone acknowledged that that was not the reason we were coming. Like you're obviously there to help. Um, but yeah. Definitely a good way to conclude it. Yeah, definitely. Well, appreciate you guys coming on and yep. talking about all that. I have no experience in this at all. Uh, so it, it is one of those things where, where it's nice when, when, you know, we're buddies with guys that have experience in this stuff that can come on and just sort of talk about it. No, thanks for having me on, man. I love this stuff. Of course. Yeah. Gio and I nerd out about it all the time. We need we need to have you back on someday about gardening. Oh, I know that was like the that was the original thing we were going to talk about when I told you like, hey, you need to come on. This was supposed to be gardening. Tugsy tactical urban gardening course. Tactical urban. The garden into the new job that I just took. The gardening has gotten. It's going to the next level. It's actually pretty. It's going from working on small farms in my backyard to. I'm making money doing this and like actually going to be in the paper for it and all that kind of stuff. So that's going to be uh great. yeah, we'll do a podcast on that. Cause I, I am getting to do some really cool stuff right now. In that that is great. Yeah, we definitely will. Well, thanks guys. I really appreciate it. This was awesome. Um, cab, I hope to cross paths sometime, man. I love to hear. Yeah. That. Thank you all for having me. And, and if, if anybody ever has questions, I'm easy to find on Instagram. I'll be tagged when, when you guys put this out, um, yeah. always, always DM me. I mean, I'm, I'm single. I'm sitting in my house most nights doing laundry or something like that. I'm always down to answer questions because yep. 
there's not a lot of good information out there that you don't just have to dig for or you have to attend in-person classes. So I'm always help, uh, always happy to share the little I know. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, if He's you like, home pondering seeds. <laughs> if you guys have Instagram uh, pages or any other social media that you want people to reach you at, what, what would it be? Uh, I'm T-Bomb08, because uh, I created that account like literally 12 years ago. Um, and I've never been banned, but also I post lots of pictures of flowers. Um, my Instagram is not going to be all like tactical, cool guy stuff all the time because I've got one foot in the, I love guns world. And I got the other foot in the, I love plants and flowers world. Um, and I am the most painfully self-aware person in the world. So, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to see, you're going to see like freaking dahlias and fly arrangements. And then you're going to see, me talking about you know water procurement and then you're gonna see me talking about you know slotting dudes at darcy so like it's just gonna be a <laughs> random yeah i'm on instagram as cabbage palm shaman i don't post any info i just post cool photos but if you have questions just reach out sweet well thanks guys